Hello there, and welcome to the very first episode of Battle of the Pilots. I am Graham Raddings, and I'm joined by my good friend and ardent TV watcher, Adrian Mills. <laughs> ardent. In this this podcast, we reach into the massive back catalogue of TV shows from over the last 50 years and pluck out a couple of pilot episodes for a head-to-head battle. To ensure we can crown a champion, we will take a wry, comedic and suspicious look at both chosen episodes, discussing their relative merits or demerits and scoring them out of 10 for their story, character set, music, visual effects and influence to eventually settle on an overall score. In the end, one pilot show will emerge as the winner, while the other one will go home to tell its older brother we've been picking on him. For this inaugural episode, <laughs> yeah, we have chosen two... Blo- <laughs> for this inaugural episode, we have chosen two blockbuster TV sci-fi shows from the late 70s, early 80s. That's right. Tonight, we bring you Battlestar Galactica versus Book Rogers in the 25th century. Let battle commence. Indeed, it's a heavyweight. It's a heavyweight opener, isn't it? In, it is. in, in the late seventies uh, sci-fi TV <laughs> drama, drama genre. I know these ones ruled the roost. They did indeed rule the roost. You know more so than what I don't know. What else was there? Logan's Run, things well, like that. Yeah, but, there was a lot of shows around that time. The late seventies, early eighties, peak time. Remember that um, Star Wars had happened, and so therefore sci-fi was cool and interesting, and uh, everyone decided to make a sci-fi show. That that is true. I mean, that, I don't think either would get either of these shows if we hadn't had Star Wars in nineteen seventy-seven. No, absolutely so not. It, it, there's a lot of claim on the back of that, not just on TV, but also cinema as well. So you things like Battle Battle of the Planets and, yeah. and everything that you know came from that. There's there were tons of this kind of space opera. Oh, Space, space fantasy type type fear. And I think these were the two biggest TV offerings that tried to do something similar. Yeah, well, I'm not. Let's not forget, of course, that they the special effects were completed by the guy that did the special effects for Star Wars on both counts. That is true. So, so yeah. you know, so there, so there's a no wonder why there's a similarity <laughs> and, and also the way, the way they al- may have, they might play out. And also, at times, actually, use the same machines, <laughs> <that> were, <laughs> the same the same things that were used on Star Wars to make absolutely them, much to George Lucas's anger and annoyance. <laughs> yes, and also, of course, um, there's some borrowings of some of the. I think Roger Corman's <laughs> had an influence in some of the spaceships in here because I'm pretty sure that certainly in Battlestar Galactica, the ragtag fugitive fleet looked like a lot of models they found in the background warehouse for something like Battle Beyond the Stars. But <laughs> we can we can look and discuss, talk to, come. we'll come to all of those marvellous things. For now, let's just pause for a moment and think about what the background is for both of these shows. Adrian, tell us in your own words. What is the background of these two shows? Okay, well, the background in my own words, as per Wikipedia, um, <laughs> I'll do. Is <laughs> uh, Battlestar Galactica is an American science fiction television series created by Glenn A. Larson. We can just re- substitute Book Rogers into that bit if you want. Um, <laughs> that began the Battlestar Galactica franchise. It's had Lorne Green, Richard Hatch, Dirk Benedict. And it follows the surviving humans as they flee in Battlestar Galactica and other ships in search for a new home while being pursued by the Cylons. So that's Battlestar Galactica. We'll talk about spin-offs and and sequels and things later on, mm. but it but it did spawn a few of them, so we'll come to them. But Rogers, on the other hand, in the 25th century, is an American science fiction adventure television series produced by Universal Studios, ran for two seasons from September 1979. And the feature-length pilot episode, which is what we are looking at, 
was released as a theatrical film before the series aired. Again, developed by Glenn A. Larson and Leslie Stevens. And it's actually based on the, the book, the book uh, character Book Rogers, who was created in 1928 by Philip Francis Nolan. Uh, it's been previously featured in comic strips, novellas, a serial film, and on television and radio. So of the two, Book Rogers goes back farther. It's a kind of a Flash Gordon-style thing, I guess, isn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. Similar, similar style of thing, whereas Battlestar Galactica is, a, I believe it's a, all, all new, all singing, all dancing, new entry into the... Uh, sci-fi oeuvre well, certainly all dancing but of course we'll come to that <laughs> that's more the Bob um, rogers <laughs> true um so yes both tv shows um have spawned um well, certainly, uh, Book Rogers seems to have a lot of fan fiction and a lot of fan support. Fans have always been quite vociferous about these particular shows. So I suppose we should have to dread carefully as we take them into battle. But into <laughs> battle, we must take them. And because otherwise, how, how are we going to decide you know, which one is the winner of the battle? There's no other way we've got to go into this. Now, the format for these is we've set aside some what we'll call characteristics, but I suppose what they are is kind of themes. So we're going to look at these things sort of separately. So and we're going to look firstly at the story and the narrative of each pilot. In this instance, of course, the pilots are kind of special because they were kind of released as movies uh, mm. over here, I think. So either way, whether it's a pilot episode that's compiled from other pilot episodes or whether it's two episodes crushed into a pilot, these are the way that we encountered these particular sci-fi shows, in the certainly in the UK, before they became on TV because they were on TV in the UK a lot later than they were in the US. Anyway, we're going to deal with that. So we're going to look at the story, the performance characters, the sets, the costumes, the music, sound effects, the visual effects, the reception influence, and decide on an overall score. Of course, once the overall score is decided, well, we'll have a winner, won't we? And we'll know. So without further ado, let's dive into the story. So the story behind Book Rogers, um, the, the pricey, um, of this, the, the the back of the book, should we say, is a 20th century astronaut emerges out of 500 years of suspended animation into a future time where Earth is threatened by alien invaders. And that's from the IM Internet Movie Database. Um, alternatively, one might read this entire thing as the final moments of a dying mind frozen in space a la Total Recall. And everything that happens is just a dream. <laughs> bleak. <laughs> it's so bleak. Well, that's, you know, there's <laughs> an argument be. for that, especially with the, the opening credits. But we'll come to those yes. later, I suppose, at some point. Yes. Anyway, if we take this as is, that this really happened, the story's laid out as a pre-credit sequence before we get to the aforementioned title sequence and it has the following narration so in the year i can't do it in the is mel is it mel blank who reads this out so it's a very portentous voice in the year 1987 at the john f kennedy space center nasa launched the last of america's deep space probes the payload perched on the nose cone of the massive rocket was a one-man exploration vessel ranger three and aboard this compact starship a lone astronaut captain william book rogers was to experience cosmic forces beyond all comprehension now there's more to this opening but was that the plan <laughs> was that what they sent him into space for because it never what? says Never really says why he was there, does it? No. Does it just a, can you, a deep can you go space on probe? Yeah, to probe what? Where's he going? You see a shot of him <laughs> flying past the moon, but where's he off? Where's Which he off isn't, to? by the way, deep space, just saying. Well, it's going to take him a while to get to deep space. We've discussed <laughs> deep space on our sister podcast, Up to the Past. You know, we have. It's massive. <laughs> it takes a yeah. long time to get anywhere. Yeah, Longer than 500 years, ironically. <laughs> yeah, ironically, yeah. So what was the plan? What was NASA's plan for this? Well, I have to say, I don't think they liked him. <laughs> so they just jetted him off into space. What, what's the mission again? Deep space probing. You you get out there and probe that deep space. <laughs> do, do we need to send any information back? 
No, don't worry about that so much. Just, just make some notes. <laughs> just make some notes. We've put plenty of note paper in there. Just get just probing. So, yeah, it's all about you, the probing. You probably need that when you run out of toilet paper. <laughs> Is there a specific area I should be deep probing? No, just go for, the, go for the old lot. <laughs> all of it. All of space. <laughs> just uh, come back in a, you know, later. <laughs> <laughs> See that, that space between the moon and, and uh, Venus there? Yeah, or the moon. Well, any, anywhere, really. Just over just there. Go. Off you go. Not and, Earth. Uh, not Earth, no. <laughs> anyway, whilst he's out there, he experiences cosmic... Something happens. There's, there's the perfect <laughs> storm of perfect elements. The chances yes. are microscopic. Astronomic. Astronomical. And what they do is they freeze him and coat him in a uh, a nice coating of grey. <laughs> I don't know what crisp it is. Him. They, they crisp they crusti- him. Good. <laughs> crustify him. <laughs> real good. And he just leans back, all content. Yes, he, has he just nice falls asleep and leans back and freezes. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, 500 years later, he's finally picked up by the Draconian flagship, which is commanded by the Princess Adala and Kane, her second in command. After a bit of chat, they send him on his way to Earth, but they put a tracking device on his ship. By the way, there are spoilers in this. We can't discuss these without spoilers, so get used to it. Okay. Um, If you're going, I've never watched Book Rogers. Oh, (laughs) then tough. (laughs) Too late. Go watch it and then come (laughs) back. Go and watch it then. And then, so anyway, so they put a tracking device on his ship so they can learn the way through Earth's defences. Upon arriving, Book is arrested by Colonel uh, Wilma Daring, and she is told that pirates are starving the Earth out by taking out the supplies en route, and they think he's a pirate spy. And more important, mm. though, is Book's desire to see what happened to the Earth in the cataclysmic wars in the intervening 500 years, which has rendered the Earth outside of the main city uninhabitable. That is, unless you happen to own a face scarf, then you're all right. <laughs> um, luckily, a quick search of the ruins turns up the grave of Book's parents, thus confirming yes. what he has not really believed up to this point, despite the entirety of the Earth looking you know, quite, quite done in. Upon returning to the space city, Book is sentenced to death. Should have stayed out there. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it would be better off, really. Yeah, but Colonel Daring and Book hatch a plan to go and investigate the draconian spaceship and see if Book is telling the truth. Of course he is. And after some dancing and loving, he manages to take down the draconian forces and show that he is not a spy and is a willing servant of the Earth forces. And Wilma professes that she'll be all woman from him from now on. <laughs> but he doesn't seem to care at all. The draconian forces retreat, but swear to be back in future episodes. There you go. Okay, that's Book Rogers. That's the Book Rogers story. Do you, do you have anything to add to that nonsense? Just, it's all, I suppose, classic. It's kind of, it, it, you can sort of tell that it was written in the 20s, that kind of daring do. It's very Flash Gordon-y, isn't it? Yes. You know, one guy suddenly transformed fish out of water style. The irony of it is he's not really a fish out of water because he's never, he's still on Earth. And they just, what always makes me laugh is they just kind of take the fact that he was a NASA pilot, just like, you know, you were a NASA pilot. Yeah, I was a NASA pilot. NASA, NASA was on Earth. So where else could he been from? He wasn't going to be, he was going to be a draconian <laughs> pilot, conveniently disguised as a 500 year old NASA pilot, is he? It's like, no. what kind of crazy plan would that be? <laughs> Yeah. And they also scan his ship when they find his ship, the Draconians. They scan it and go, oh, it's, it's an old Earth ship. It's like, why would you know that? <laughs> yeah. And why would they have found it? Anyway. I don't know. It's th- Should yeah. we, we can't question those details too often in this. Not really, no. So do you want to tell us the Battlestar <laughs> story? Yes, of course. So in Battlestar Galactica, the human population of the 12 colonies, that is <clears throat> Erelon, Aquaria, <laughs> Canceron, or Cancerion, Caprica, Geminon, Leonis, <laughs> Libran, Picon. Sagittarion, I'm guessing there's a lot of Rons here. Scorpia, Tauron, <laughs> and Virgon. Okay. Big Ron, the, Ron Jeremy. A big Ron, big Ron, little Ron, cardboard box Ron, are at the brink of a unilateral peace with their long-standing and mortal enemies, the Cylons. Bum, bum, bum. At the culmination of the peace treaty, when all of humanity are celebrating in the Council of the Twelve, that's the leaders of the Twelve Colonies, having a meeting with some tea and biscuits, the Cylons... <laughs> 
with the assistance of a sneaky human double agent named Baltar, stage a spectacularly obvious double cross and stage an all-out nuclear war on all 12 colonies at once in a bid to wipe out the human race forever the rotters. Mm. Even the mighty battle stars, the flagship intergalactic battle cruisers of the colonial fleet assigned to protect the colonies are all caught with their space pants down with the exception of one, the Battlestar Galactica. So following the devastating attack, what remains of the scattered and broken population of the colonies are given the mandate by Adama, commander of the Galactica, presumably on Galactica FM, because I've no idea how he gets the word across 12 destroyed planets, but hey-ho, to find any spacefaring vehicle they can muster, get as many survivors on board as it can hold, and flee into space and the protection of the remaining Battlestar and its small fleet of colonial vipers and their pilots. There is a ragtag fleet, and on the run from the Cylons, they intend to set, set upon a long space journey to find the mythical 13th colony, otherwise known as Earth to you and me, and thereby adopt a new home for their poor homeless selves, all good, so far. The epic plan quickly starts to encounter some issues, which they might have thought of before and you'd have thought of. So, distinct lack of food, fuel and water, and medical supplies... <laughs> Yeah, um, and well, staff. they didn't have much time to uh, plan, did they? It wasn't like no. they were all going. Uh... <laughs> no, they didn't. So I think, right, we're going to be bombed. Everyone, get your suitcases of fuel. <laughs> so anyway, so the, with a the lack of those things, obviously, it leads to starvation, crime, and death across the fleet. No, oh. so they need to find somewhere they can restock. Now, this would mean you'd need to still carry all of that fuel and food, and eventually, it's still going to run out because you. Anyway, it doesn't matter. A new council of the twelve is somehow elected with a dammer on board <laughs> in some manner. Um, yeah. Because, because the old one worked out so brilliantly, of course. And they decide that the whole fleet should visit a planet called Boralis that has everything they need, but is almost certainly a deadly trap, as it's probably home to a Cylon task force, according to Adama. And they're eagerly awaiting them, of course. So Apollo, the son of Adama, and the commander of the Colonial Vipers, suggest they visit an alternative planet, Carillon, which, by the way, is a really good antiseptic cream lotion in the UK. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's just an aside. Of course, Apollo's plan is stupidly dangerous. And by stupidly dangerous, I mean ridiculously so, because they need to fly the entire fleet through an area of space that is A, mined heavily by the Cylons, B, renders all their laser weapons useless, and C, blocks them from seeing anything. So uh, Apollo oh, yeah. and his co-pilot, Buddy Starbuck, intend to fly in front of the fleet, clearing a path through the mines with space torpedoes, even though they can't see anything. Okay. <laughs> good, good plan. Yeah, I'm off to Borealis. Good plan, good, good plan yeah. I, think, I, I quite like the, Bora, the Borealis plan, I'll see, but okay. I'll see you later. <laughs> see, see, see yeah, good luck with that planning, Oz. Well, once they get through that, of course they make it through there. They reach the intergalactic casino world of Carillon. <laughs> Yeah, some oh, yeah, absolutely. It's basically Vegas, Vegas in space. Yeah, space Vegas. Yeah, Spagus. Spagus. Which is ruled by human locust-looking creatures called Ovians. And here, Adrian, things with this story reach a new level of stupid. <laughs> so I'm going to just going to kind of summarise them because there's quite a lot condensed in here. So though it's not clear how or why, the Council of the Twelve, the new Council of the Twelve, decide they're going to declare peace again uh, with the Cylons and lay down their arms as a tokenistic gesture during a celebratory awards ceremony for Apollo and Starbuck. And they're getting them through the, the mine, space mines and the blind lasering and all of that. Well, you know, they've earned that reward. It did True. quite well. It did get quite hot in those Vipers. It did get, it was melting the cockpits, apparently. Um, anyway, bear in mind, by the way, the Cylons to this point have no idea where the humans are or any reason to be on Carillon. Okay, so unless Cylons have a penchant for space casinos, why would they be there? Anyway, hold that <laughs> thought. The Ovians, it turns out, have been kidnapping visitors to their casino and taking them to the lower chambers to use as food or incubators for their larvae, which is quite gruesome. And it turns out the Ovians have been in cahoots with the Cylons for reasons. 
We don't really know why. We don't Something need to, to know do with why. them letting them have the people as food. I don't know. Anyway, sensing a trap. <laughs> no shit. Adama hides his fleet of vipers on the surface of the planet, gets loads of people to pretend to be pilots at the award ceremony, and then eagerly awaits the silence to play their dastardly hand. Meanwhile, Apollo and Starbuck find the Ovian's lower chambers, rescue some people, and go head to head with some silence, inadvertently setting fire to some Tylium which, it turns out, is a highly combustible elemental fuel that once triggered starts a chain reaction that will blow up the entire planet. I'm thinking there should be warning signs dotted about around that, but there you go. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't <laughs> smoke. No smoking. No, no smoking, no no running in the corridors, and for, no shooting the Tylium with laser pistols. Yeah, no bombing. <laughs> no heavy petting. <laughs> anyway, surprise, surprise, the Cylons spring their trap and attack what they think is a defenseless fleet to all fool them. Adama springs his counter trap and the Vipers launch from the planet, quickly, because remember the planet's going to blow up, and destroy the Cylon Raiders. Apollo and Starbuck surmise that there must be a Cylon base star, which is their kind of mothership, nearby, possibly hidden from their space raiders because of its proximity to, proximity to the planet. They're crisp. I'm sensing... <laughs> the space, space raiders. raiders. They are <laughs> space radars, right? yes. Um, and also, of course, I'm sensing that the radars of the Battlestar perhaps need an upgrade if they can't see a giant spaceship just around the side of a planet. Yeah. Not much use, anyway. No. So... Uh, Apollo and Starbuck zoom across the surface of Carolong using fake military call signs on their space radios. <laughs> it's all true. To confuse this incredibly technically enabled and futuristic cyborg army of the Cylons into thinking they are under attack from several battalions of colonial vipers by just calling them out with different colours. <laughs> Purple squad, isn't it? Orange squad. Purple squadrons coming. Yeah, these different squadrons. The ruse causes the Cylons, again, just for reasons, to retreat closer to the planet's surface which by now is, of course, is at critical mass. Anyway, the Vipers zoom away, leaving the Cylons, as well as the Ovians, their children, and all of the casino staff and attendees to burn to death <laughs> in the resulting planetary explosion. The fleet is saved. Everyone important is okay. Now they must remain on the run from the Cylons and continue the quest for Earth. That is Battlestar Galactica. Complicated. Complicated things going on it's in there. It's only complicated because that stupid second half... <laughs> <laughs> It's ridiculous. Oh, yes. And you know, some believe. You've also, don't forget as well that that opening section, some believe that they are the ancestors to the Mayans or the Toltecs, Toltecs. or the Egyptians or someone. <laughs> or they're the, who are they? Well, they're, who are, <laughs> it's just a list of ancient of civilizations. Toltecs. Exactly. The ancient civilizations of Toltec. Toltec, you? yeah. I know, it just goes on for just listing them all. Just pick one <laughs> and be done with it. Blessed are the you, the Toltecs. Never <laughs> yeah. heard of them. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. The film gets stupid as it goes on. I do, however, the first half is, yeah, okay, we can see it coming a mile off, but it's the scheming of Balta, the slow dawning on Adama, the resulting destruction, flight away space. I like all that. That's well done. That's good. It's, it's the second half where it all falls to insect larvae pieces. Yeah, um, and of course, what we've got to remember a little bit is that, as with, well, actually slightly similar to Book Rogers, but the Battlestar Galactica pilot, film that they released kind of is a is a condensed they've condensed quite a bit into that so there's quite a lot of episodes crushed down i think three three, episodes, three one hour episodes wasn't it yeah originally. so they've crushed that down into an hour and a half cozy hour and a half so you know there is some there is some parts that are pressied <laughs> to say the least but <laughs> Just, you know what it was the pilot episode that we saw when it came here so yeah. well to be fair it was the pilot episode it was they actually released it originally in the cinema in the states as well this was the first thing that went out wow um, as far as, far oh. as i'm aware i could find that this was the two-hour thing that went to the cinema in the states as well um so, so this is the first taste that people had of Battlestar, and then the three-hour version was released on tv later but yeah that's all right what scores are we giving this what what do we think well 
I think for me, the story of Battlestar Galactica, as crazy as it is, is it just kind of just repeat. <laughs> so yeah. they, they, they're all wiped out. They're getting their spaceships, go away, go onto another planet. They're all wiped out. <laughs> they get into spaceships and clear off. <laughs> yeah. So it just kind of does the same thing twice. At least Book Rogers has a, a kind of sense of daring, heroic adventure about it. So okay. and and this and the you know and it does have that kind of it is kind of a more of a Star Warsy vibe as a, a key beginning, middle, and end. Whereas Battlestar Galactic has kind of a beginning, middle, another beginning, several middles, and then it's kind of <laughs> deviates in this really weird scenes that don't need to be in it. A triple mouth singer springs mm-hmm. to mind for no reason really. So oh I think, yeah yeah the, the, you forgot to mention the singers yeah and then of course the, the enemies themselves the Cylons they are a good enemy in that Battlestar Galactica but they are just kind of they don't really do a lot. In that. <laughs> They, so, they, well, there's three of them to a ship. They're crammed in quite tight. <laughs> With their Venetian blind windows. It always makes me laugh. They're always sat behind Venetian blinds, it always looks like to me. But anyway, yeah, so I think um, if we're going to rate these out of 10, I think for me, Battlestar Galactica probably gets maybe a, a six. That's what I've given it as well. I've given it a six. And what have you given uh, Book Rogers? I actually thought the pl- the story to Book Rogers was really weak. I mean, there's nothing to it. He sort of arrives. There's a crap story about putting the pirate thing on. <laughs> he goes for a walk around a ruined city, and then they, they go for a dance, and then nothing. Oh, it's something about pirates and food. And then he just solves everything by stupidly just putting mines on every pirate ship that then no one thinks to stop them leaving. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the sequence they're like maybe if I fly out I'll be fine <laughs> boom oh, no, I, thought, I thought we cracked it with that one <laughs> yeah and there's, there's loads of stupid bits in it I don't know I I, I don't know I, I, get, I gave Book Rogers a, a five maybe actually maybe I think yeah maybe you're right I think maybe a four or five then okay well I'll settle on a five if you've settled on a six yeah. but. I think the thing with Battlestar is I think the first half if you just stuck with the first half and then carried it on like, like the thing we do later on instead of going for the stupid thing it would have been higher because I really do like the idea of being double cross, you know, legging it out into space, trying to find, yeah, trying yeah, to true. find something. I think that in and of itself is a, a good core thematic story to, do, yes. you know, put something around. What it's not something to put around is the story of an intergalactic space casino with uh, human eating <laughs> insects. <laughs> For, for reasons. <laughs> and that's where it falls down a bit. And a whole planet that just is so unstable that smoking a cigarette near a pool <laughs> will blow it up. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of lights and light bulbs in that casino. Any one of them could pop and cause a fire, and that's Literally. it. That planet's and going so under. Much, and so much nylon. So much static electricity. <laughs> Anything could have set it off. Absolutely. Absolutely. It did not take them firing laser weapons. That was a, a fire risk from day one. <laughs> No, note yeah. to self, never build a space casino on a on a volatile, dangerous planet made of tilium. No. That thing's gonna go that thing's gonna blow. It's a, it is a ticking, literally a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Don't need a Death Star to wander past and blow it up. Someone with a said a cigarette or just a passing match, anything. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. So then in our, in our, if that's the case, then our story scores are Battlestar Galactica gets a six. Book Rogers is trailing at the moment with a five. With Interesting. A five, yeah. mm. Okay, well let's move swiftly on now. Now let's take a look at the performance and characters of these marvellous, marvellous shows. So obviously the main character of Book Rogers is Book, this time in this instance played by uh, Jill Gerard. Or is it Gil? Is it Gil or Jill? Gil. Doesn't matter. Poor old Gil. <laughs> Gil. <laughs> Poor old Gil. Ah, oh, Gil's um, so, out again. So, 
Gilgarad plays Captain William Buck Rogers. We've also got Erin Gray, who was, I believe, a Miss America, I think. Um, Quite possibly. Before this. Um, and she plays Colonel Wilma Deering. We've got Tim O'Connor as Elias Howard. That's Dr. Howard. He's only in it for the first season, I think. He doesn't make much of an appearance in the second season because of the crazy problems they had with the second season, which we'll discuss later. Pamela Hensley, of course, as Princess Ardala. Henry Silver as Kane. He's only Kane in the theatrical pilot, so he's only in the pilot. Henry Silver, it's changed in the later series. Felix... Sila or Sila is Tweaky. That's the physical performance of Tweaky, who does nothing but walk around shaped like a Robocock. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> Carrie, of course, uh, Dr. Theopolis. So Mel Blanc does the voice of a few things in Book Rogers, but he is principally the voice of Tweaky. And um, because, of course, aside from the beagie beagie beagies that Tweaky does, which are expressions of excitement or danger, I guess. I don't really know. No one really understands that language apart from <laughs> Dr. Theopolis. He does actually speak periodically, and there is a reason for that, which I'll come to. Howard F. Flynn, by the way, was the voice of Dr. Theopolis in the pilot only. His voice was changed for the TV series, although, in a really peculiar coincidence, the guy that did the voice in the actual TV series sounds exactly like Howard F. Flynn as well. It's kind of creepy. That is creepy. So I think when it comes to the, the way the characters and the performance are in this, there's a really weird interplay between the characters. Book Rogers, Jill Gerard, Book Rogers, he kind of aims for a manly persona and kind of this buff dude, although he's 70s buff. So he's kind of pudge more than buff. <laughs> um, and he's got chest hair and he's kind of just a block of a big block of space meat, really. But he actually comes across in the, in the pilot episode as kind of weirdly camp. So he spends the initial part of the pilot because they drug him, don't they? They give him you know, space painkillers <laughs> yeah, for some reason because yeah. he's in so much pain, clearly. So they give him space painkillers for his headache, which sends him into a crazy high. So he goes kind of space high. He um, does. And then his performance throughout the whole TV pilot seems to sort of be an interplay between kind of camping it up a bit and acting kind of 70s disco camp and also trying to be James Bondy a little bit style. Mm-hmm. He's not, certainly is, what there isn't is no Star Wars-y type characterization of him so he's not like he's trying to play luke because he's a bit too old for that and he's kind of maybe a bit han solo-y maybe but a bit roguey but he still doesn't really come over that way erin gray however starts off being a really interesting strong female lead and is quickly reduced to a simple sexy sideshow for books affections and she just pouts all the time tragedy really isn't it that yes. so her character starts off really interesting she's the commander of the space fleet whatever they're called uh, but it doesn't matter in the end because she's just like you know she's basically for the at least three quarters of that after she's met book just either pines for him or calls him an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> she like flip-flops. Said, she, she tells him she's going to be all woman for him from now on in. <laughs> it's just a, such a fall from powerful grace at the beginning. She's, she stands there giving it some, you know, in a sort of very old, stupidly tight-fitting outfits, but we'll come to that. Anyway, <laughs> so she, she's reduced to the kind of sort of a, a target of books affections and mostly pouting all the time or are wearing very shiny lip gloss. Pamela Hensley, however, who plays <laughs> so Ardala, um, <laughs> so lip gloss, so much lip gloss. Pamela Hensley plays her character in next to no clothes for most of the time. Oh, don't ruin um, my yeah, costume <laughs> section. No, no, no. Just saying. So she, so she plays it obviously with uh, with very powerful sexual ardor. Ardor, 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 ardor. Is that how is it pronounced? Ardor, sexual. I've written it. Ardor. I know right? what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, so machismo, machismo. So she has that, and that's kind of her weapon of choice. She, so she spends most of her time eyeballing men and, and, and measuring them up for their sexual prowess, whether it's Kane, whether it's Book, whether it's Tiger Man. Because, of course, Tiger Man gets horribly rejected for no reason. I felt his pain. Tiger <laughs> Man just gets, no, pa- Tiger, Tiger Man. Man, don't you be looking at me, Tiger Man, you bloody <laughs> giant Tiger Man. No, this isn't for you. So, so <laughs> <laughs> No, you're not going out. Tiger Man, you're barbed. 
<laughs> Stupid Tiger Man. So she has, and she basically plays that as a character in this. So she plays kind of the sexy part of the triangle between Book and Wilma, and of course, then there's the princess. And but and Book never quite, you never quite know where Book's affections really lie. Even at the end, you don't really know. He's just kind of he spends a lot of time dancing Twiki, with her. He's in bed. He's in bed <laughs> twice with uh, with yeah. He spends a lot of time with Tweaky actually, chatting away to him. So the babble talking Tweaky actually, as you now we come to mention, it, is quite an important character in that he is actually just a walking transport for Doctor Theopolis because that's all he seems to do: walk yeah. around and transport things. Doctor Theopolis. And my question to you, Adrian, is this. Why in the future have all important choices been handed to clock-shaped AIs? <laughs> don't know. Um, that need to be carried around by penis-shaped robots. <laughs> You'd think who, that, made that, who made that choice? <laughs> you would think as well that considering like the, who's the, the doctor tells him, don't he? he says, oh, no, they programmed themselves. They did it all themselves. Sort of thing. They'd make themselves feet. It's true. That the, the, when Book's trial is a triumph of stupidity in that show, when he sits there with a robot with a necklace defending him <laughs> in front of a room full of, of animated clocks, <laughs> Do you know what Tweaky it's, is, by the way? He's an ambicord. Is it what? It's called an ambicord. Oh, okay, I thought he was like a bit like a Lego man, but well, like I don't know what he is. is but okay. supposedly, according to what I've read, he's, an, he's called he's, he's uh, his thing is called an ambicord. He's <laughs> so, whatever the species he is. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I do know that, of course, as we've said, his his character in this and Doctor Theopolis tends to be generally he's a really supportive kind of character for <laughs> Book. He, he loves Book from the minute he meets him. Doctor Theopolis is all over him. Don't yeah, hurt is. Book. Well, I don't. I don't believe it. Book can't possibly be a spy. <laughs> I've met with him and discussed things with him, and he's really nice. He's kind of saying that all the time. Wilma's like, "No, he's not. He's a bloody space pirate." He's like, "No, I just I don't think you're seeing what I'm seeing." Well, she does. She does say that for the first about two scenes, when, and then <laughs> and then suddenly, I'm very sorry for being mean to you. Kiss. Yeah, and then you'll go. Yeah, and then you're going on trial for being a pirate, eh? <laughs> yeah. But I'll and then you're going to you get out. punished. Yeah, then he's sentenced to death, I think, isn't he? Anyway, he is sentenced to immediate termination. Immediate termination, which doesn't happen, of course. No, because he gets sent uh, back to his cell to wait for it. That's yeah. not the definition of immediate. <laughs> Don't trust clock shaped AIs. I'm telling you, they have no idea what they're talking about. Clock Especially eggs. when they're, they're periodically, of course, we, as we said, Tweaky does speak. And that, by the way, is only there because they thought that his, his beagie beagie sound was too similar to R2D2 in Star Wars. So they needed to give him a voice. Mm. Hence the reason why periodically does. Weird impressions of Mel Blanc doing an impression of a, a Looney Tunes character. What's up, Buck? And, you know, what's up, Doc? And he may, as well yeah. say, he may as well say it. Anyway, so the performances here flick from being angry to sexually aroused in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, remember, this is supposed to be a post-apocalyptic Earth, but never really seems confused by his surroundings and quickly adapts to a future where, where no one he knows is actually alive. He instantly knows how to pilot a spaceship from the future, better than the existing pilots who've been trained on that specific piece of machinery, and quickly assumes a military role, in spite of everyone's suspicion that he's a traitor and being <laughs> sentenced to death for it. Um, so so in terms of characters, those are the main characters and the performances that are in, that are in the show, and they're certainly in the pilot. There are some side characters that flip in and out. People like Dr... Um, Elias Hauer, his kind of the interplay between Dr. Theopolis as Book's friend and Erin Gray's character as Colonel Wilma Deering. And it's not really clear where he sits in the scientific elite. He's kind of an elite scientist, but it's not really clear. Remember, this is post-apocalyptic Earth, so they've actually been trying to rebuild the Earth and, and they've put this defense system up and everything else. None of that really comes across with the characters who spend most of the time in about three or four locations and periodically <laughs> wearing either smart uniforms um, and the uniforms and stuff, and we'll come to that, are quite smart in Book Rogers. But they wear those smart uniforms, periodically just going to gigs and dancing and doing stuff. <laughs> when it comes to piloting their own spaceships, they're awful, terrible. And the characters that you see, Star Wars style, you know, Red Five kind of Red Five standing mm -hmm. by, 
the moments there where you see the pilots in the cockpit, that's very much borrowed from Star Wars, those sequences. And Battlestar perhaps does the same, but you don't know a lot about those characters because you know what's going to happen to them. Boom shakalaka like a boom shakalaka. <laughs> yeah. Most of them just get told. It's going to be a very particle effect explosion so, as they um, fade away. Th- those are, that's my assessment of the performance and characters in Book Rogers in the 25th century. They're a bit sexualized for a kid's show. One's for the dads, definitely. Certainly the opening sequence was. So I don't know. <laughs> and my feeling is that it's all played a bit soft and a bit, it's not too offensive. And I think what they were going for was kind of, they were going for sort of trying not to make it too scary or too difficult to get into. Then they wanted a kind of a friendly sci-fi face. And I think the Captain Book Rogers played by Gil Garrard is kind of okay. I remember liking it when I was a kid. I remember thinking, it's yeah, I'm going to tune into Book Rogers because it was cool. But I think that was more because of the spaceships and the laser beams yeah, and all absolutely. that. absolutely. More yeah. so than if I'd have realised now and look at it with the lens now, I think, oh my God, it was, it's horrific. But I did have a real thing for Erin Gray, even as a <laughs> younger person, because there's something very alluring about her and her crazy shades of lip gloss. <laughs> just, just many shades many, many shades it's a book there's actually a book called Fifty Shades of Erin Grey <laughs> anyway <laughs> what did I think Tiger mm. Man Princess Kane not Princess Kane but the Princess Kane they're all great I, re- I like them as characters Twiggy <laughs> Dr. Delphys yeah I'm all on board books the weak link for me <laughs> it's supposed to tie it all together, but I just didn't just didn't buy him. And Erin Gray as Wilma Deering, and I think you hit the nail on the head. The editing does her no favors because she has whiplash <laughs> U-turns of character. It's just, and it, it there's no there's no subtlety. It's like, oh, son to death, I don't believe you. Ah, I don't believe him. Oh, book. It's, it's literally that. Do you see me as a woman? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all woman for you now, book. And he's sat in the back of the cup. and go, what? A. Yeah, you don't care. You don't no, care he doesn't. About that. For me, and I think you're, you're right, there's a sense they don't know in this. And I, I get it, it's for Tellian, it's 1970s, but they don't know whether to play this full on camp or serious. Yep. Um, and it shows throughout, I think. And that's that was the I problem agree. I had with this. It doesn't, you know, you've got, you can't play straight with a character called Tiger Man. <laughs> you simply can't. You have to full lean into it. And Henry Silver as Kane, he's full on bullshit or not in this. Yeah, he he's pro- proper. You know, the he's always uh, pissed off. <laughs> he's always annoyed. Always with whatever she does, and she's just Everything like just annoys whatever. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then he, he's the one who gets it all in the neck when the um, the the British's dad turns up through hologram. Oh at the end. god, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he turns up, doesn't he? And has a right yeah. rant. <laughs> proper rant we'll come to him in a bit but good lord it's a it's a real mishmash but there's not that i mean there's not that many characters they're a bit all over the place um but like it, they either should have gone full on into the kind of like what they did in flash gordon where it, you know i think they embraced the campness a lot more in flash gordon the yes film. yes i agree or they should have played it like this so so but well so I'll, I'll move on into Battlestar. so you've got three main characters really in Battlestar: captain adama and the pilots apollo and starbuck so adama is the commander of the Battlestar galactica he's the one who sees the you know he doesn't trust the cylons he's told it's good cause <laughs> yeah and he's told by the president look your old your old um you know vengeances your your old prejudices will, will be our undoing Mm, no, that's it. Turns out he's, mm. he's, he's spot on the money, and it's growing realization. I really like. He's, he's played by uh, Lorne Green, so fresh from fresh from the prairies on Bonanza um, and things like that. But Lorne Green is a is a dependable 
solid, you know, elder, state, actor, elder yeah. state mysterious actor at this point in time. And it, it, it gives the it gives the role all he's got. It's very serious of this deep baritone yes. voice. He's very serious. He's you know he's he's in charge of everything, and and you get that feeling from him. So he's a solid linchpin around what everything else thinks. He's not always like that. There's a few bits, but in in the first half of this, the good half, he's really good. Um, yes, you've got I Apollo played by Richard Hatch, who weirdly would turn up in the later. Um, Battlestar show, but we'll come to that in a bit. He's the leader of the Blue Squadron of Vipers. So the Blue Squadron, so not purple or orange, who don't exist. Um, <laughs> he's also Adama's son. What do you mean they don't exist? <laughs> don't know. That's, that's how easily you could be fooled. No wonder those silence were fooled so easily. <laughs> Just call them different colours. Yeah. <laughs> Mauve Squad. Any old squad. Beige Squad. Pink Squadron. <laughs> He's also Adama's son, and I think there's a there's a notion that he's he's quite serious as well, uh, but he's impetuous to the because he's under the shadow of his father, and you do still you get that in this as well, not so much as you do in the later series, but you get that impression that he's he, he is Adama's son. So uh, that daring plan in the second part of the film, you know, and all that, so he's a bit more impetuous, a bit more outgoing sort of thing, and and that's sort of brought out of him by the third character, who's Starbuck, uh, played by Dirk Benedict. So Dirk Benedict's character, Starbuck, is impetuous. He's a womanizer and he's Apollo's wingman, you know, basically. He's also a gambler. And as I said, the womanizer is a thing for all the ladies. Any lady he can does. get his hand, hands on. Doug Benedict we will probably, if you don't recognize him from this, it's this the same part he went on to play in the A team. He's literally yes, the same, it is. almost the same character, apart from he's a pilot there. He's a he's a he's a womanizer, isn't he? And he's you know, he's that he's the he's the face. Yeah. He's called face, isn't he? So he's, yeah. he's there for his pretty looks. Um, and that was the whole point. So these three are the sort of core sort of team, central team of the of the show. And around them, everything plays out. There's loads of different characters that bounce off them. So there's Boomer. Uh, there's all these kind of different characters. But it, around them, the story sort of revolves. So they sort of solve stuff. Dharma is the one who has to try and navigate and sort out the problems that leading all these spaceships. I think there's 200-odd spaceships surviving there. And he's trying to lead this ragtag fleet across the universe. He's the one who like has to give them hope that there is this mythical 13th colony uh, of Earth, and so it all lands on his shoulders. But he's Lord Green, so you know he, he can he can handle that. He's cool. There's loads of cameos in this as well for people you'll yeah, recognise. There's loads of loads of faces. Jane Seymour, um, yes, she, is. she plays Apollo's love interest. I, I can't remember her name because remember this is the seventies, and most of the women's roles are defined by how they are around men. So yes. you, you get that a lot of that. The, the main the main sort of driver of the character in this is, is the men, and that's you know it's the seventies. Is what it is. John Colicos, Mister Treacherous Baltar, mm, <laughs> who, played, like plays it well. He does play. He does play it well. It's very funny in the opening sequence. Oh, I can't believe that! I can't believe the Cylons would do that. <laughs> they, they don't trust us. We shouldn't send them out. And then they go, "We're being attacked." Balta, what do you think? Balta, <laughs> I love that. One of my favourite bits is uh, <laughs> just gone. There's a fleet of a, a fleet of ships <laughs> aiming towards us. Possibly a Cylon welcoming committee. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, Adam. Uh, what are you talking that about? That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense that they would send out welcoming yeah. committee of a thousand warships. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. talking well, about your welcoming right? committee is shooting at us. Balta, what do you think to that? Well, he says. Um, he says, should we raise? We think, can we at least raise our shields? He goes, no. That could be seen as a sign of, of attack. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Let's not raise the shields then. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's all very silly. But yeah, he plays it well and then he just disappears. Also, as well, we've got Ray Miland as Sire Yuri, mm. uh, the who I bet. He, he must be the inspiration for the hedonist bot in Futurama. Oh, there's no doubt about it. He has to be. <laughs> Absolutely like, oh. has to be. <laughs> what are you doing? When he first comes in and she's got, just having some kind of like, I'm not going to say orgy, but there's something going on. Or it's probably the precursor to some, some shenanigans. Some inference that there's some kind of adult party going on on the old uh, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, spaceship is. there. And they're like, oh, you've got lots of food. Uh, I trust you're not going to break up this party. <laughs> like, God, Relax crazy. and have some grapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I made it a spot. Uh, but the good thing about this, this supports, this is, like I said, it's a solid supporting cast all around. It's all played pretty much straight. Yes. I think. And that helps to sell the story, especially in the first half. And and, and my, my main complaint with it is it, it, then that gets at odds. We get the odd insects and that stupid plot in the second half where it then becomes like a, you can see it's turning into a serial of the week. Yes. Um, which is what happens. And with a lot of these TV shows, you have a really good opening and then it's, well, we need to keep this going syndicated week upon week and we see what happens. Um, I also do want to mention here the sarcastic Cylon um, <laughs> at the end because um, he's the brilliant. Cylon. <laughs> he's just amazing when the, the Grand Supreme, because there's a Grand Supreme leader of these Cylons as well. Um, yeah, the, Imperium, the, Imperi- the Imperious Leader. It's Patrick McNee. It's the Imperious yeah. Leader. Imperious leader, and he goes, uh, "What's it?" He says, "He goes, how could they know of our se- surprise surprise attack?" And Silo just looks up and goes, "I guess it wasn't so surprising." Our readers are all destroyed. All destroyed. How? We took them by surprise. Apparently, it was not as big a surprise as we had hoped for. <laughs> it's, yeah. like it's just a sarcastic silence. It's like, brilliant. Oh. <laughs> Sarcastic silence. You can afford to be when it's imperious leaders on a chair nine feet in the air. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you get up there? <laughs> Why is yeah. he up there? Why is he up there? But yeah, he's ace, that sarcastic Cylon. And for him and for the seriousness of it, yeah, I, I really like that. What about you? There are some characters I like in that. I actually really like the character of Apollo and Starbuck, as you rightly point out. They play, they, they play their roles particularly well and they just stick to them. Mm. So Apollo is the kind of... And he does, they do play out the, the, that first part where, obviously, Zack is Apollo's brother and the son, other son of Adama who's killed by the Cylons as he's trying to get yeah. back to the fleet to warn them. That's, a, that's when this, the show is at its greatest. That's such a brilliant moment. Mm. Even though there's characters then that are crying with, with absolute horror what happened, and then two scenes later they're having a party. <laughs> <laughs> things, don't, <laughs> things don't affect people for long in this show. They're, they, don't no. do, they don't dwell on things. But I suppose if you're running on the... You know, on, on a spaceship running away from, you know, deadly enemy silence, you're going to just party all the time if you can. I like the character of, of the XO, which is uh, Colonel Ty, because um, he's quite an important character in this. Um, mm. Although he doesn't do a lot in this particular pilot, no, other than kind of either really agree. Him. Well, he either agrees or did with, well, he just generally agrees with Adama. Um, and there's a really funny sequence when they've had no real interaction other than Adama telling Ty what to do mostly, where they just meet in a spaceship for no reason really and just con- conjure a plan. But they just, for some reason, they just meet in a spaceship so they can't be heard by anybody. It's like, well, why would you need to go to those lengths anyway? <laughs> it just seemed odd. You know, when, mm-hmm. and, it, and let's face it, if you're in a Battlestar, the last Battlestar, and you're, uh, your, you know, the commander and the colonel both disappear. You're going to be start asking questions about where, you know, where are they going? What are they swinging their lead? What they're doing? We need them on the bridge. What are they doing? They can't just disappear for a chat. And then he starts stealing uniforms. And he's made into some kind of weird comedy sort of psychic. Again, this is second half when it all goes pear shaped. Prior to that, his main role is to look at Adama with kind of a, a glowering kind of, oh my God, what we're going to do kind of look and wait mm. for a decision to be made. The female characters in it, like you say, Jane Seymour is one love interest. You've got Cassiopeia, who is who is for a short time uh, Starbucks in love interest, but he's also, and the, the, I can't remember the other role, of the, but there's another woman in it who plays a role of a, she's sort of a radar operator slash love interest for one scene slash all of yes. a sudden there's, there's, a, there's a scene on the Carillon where there's kind of a jokey scene where um, they're both sort of... Is it Lieutenant, Lu- ki- Lieutenant Athena? Yeah, that's it, yeah, because she's meant to be Starbucks' girlfriend and I don't know, it's... She sets him on steam. Yeah, that's right. She steams him when he's, he's getting a bit steamy in the 
yeah. st- steam area of the wherever they are. There's some kind of steam jets required in that steamy bit. Don't go in the steam room for a bit of steamy, <laughs> steamy naughtiness. And then um, later they have a bit of a confrontation in the casino when they both show up on a date with for, with Starbuck and he's actually sort of trying to play one off against the other. And it's unnecessary. So I say second half, that's like, it all gets a bit silly, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I do like the imperious leader for the exact reasons you mentioned. A, because he's just a grumpy man in an armchair, well, grumpy creature in an armchair, really. <laughs> he's permanently given the bad news all the way through. It's just bad news all the time. There's no, there's no, right, we've won, we've won, we've won. It's brilliant. This is great. He's like, bad news. One of the battle stars has escaped. Oh, damn it. Baltar's let us down. Oh, no. We, we've, we've tracked him to a planet where we, it's, now it's blown up. Oh, come on. Now we're under attack from, it's like, what? And how many imperious leaders are there? Because if he's on that one battle star that gets blown up at Caroline, there must be like, I don't know. I don't know. It's not too much debate this but they are interesting characters and i do i really like the silence and so yeah i agree i think some good characters in there i think if we're gonna have to rate them and i suppose we have to we have to what sort of scores are you thinking of for the performance of characters of book rogers for starters Um, well i was for book rogers uh where did i put that i gave it a six just for tiger man yes i could actually go with that actually i think um, I actually read it written down as a five, but I'll go with a six because there are there are there are interesting characters that do appear in there, I suppose. And you don't have really stupid throwaway characters like the bloody William Hyde White appears weirdly in both Book Rogers and Batstar at certain times. Of course, he's in the second version of the Counts of the Twelve, going, "Oh, that's a great thing to do. Let's let's have a party." <laughs> so, um, so I agree. Well, on, what about on Battlestar? That, on, on that note, Battlestar's a one. Uh, no, I, gave, I actually really like the Battlestar character. So I gave it. I gave it an eight. Yes. Uh, I'd given it a seven, but I'll go. I'll compromise with an eight with you because I agree. I think I think they're uh, they're equally good. So if we look at the uh, the overall performance and character score, Battlestar Galactica scored an eight. Book Rogers again trailing here with a six. Going to have to pull it back in the in the back half, isn't it? It says it's going to have to try and do something because it's not looking so good, is it? Nope. Okay. So moving swiftly on, as we have to do, we're going to now take a look at the sets and costumes that exist in this marvelous sci-fi universe. So let's get on and do that. Let's talk about Book Rogers, and we've said about them in the characters that I did. If we're talking the, if we're talking costumes, then you've got to talk Tiger Man and Kane first of all. The, the double bill of evil decked out in tiger print and golden black lame. Glorious. It's literally glorious. That's the way of the future. Those are materials that the um, draconians cherish. I know. Tiger print and golden black lame. And when the, uh, I was speaking about it, there's a princess and her lack of wardrobe throughout. To, yes. you know, you're actually talking about negative costume there. Um, <laughs> That's what you're talking about with the princess. She's either in the bath, you know, leaning on the side, or what she wears for the dancing sequence is just very ridiculous. Skimpy. Very suggestive. Very skimpy, yeah. I mean, in other sequences, she's she's fully dressed and things like that. But when she when she goes to town, she goes to town. I can only guarantee. I can only gather that it must be very warm in space, but it's not. It's cold. <laughs> so they must have some serious heaters on those ships. Um, <laughs> the outfit for the good guys, I thought they were a bit bland. They look yeah. like just like rather dull naval outfits with a really high neck cop neck back neck collar. <laughs> it's they like are, they're really yeah. scared of like of getting some a bit of whiplash to that, that high back collars there. Um, I did, however, like the black formal wear with its red sash, um, yeah. which they wear for the uh, the the dance sequence that when they go there, and it fits Book's dancing at the disco uh, when he's dancing both <laughs> with a ball and under a metaphorical disco ball. There's lots of ball <laughs> dancing going on. Um, and special mention must also be given to the princess's father, King Draco, I think his name is, who yeah. turns up via hologram in the latest gear from the Genghis Khan collection. Uh, 
It's like, what is going on here? Why is there a race of whoever these are out in space that look like the Mongols? I don't know. You know, the Mongol hordes. I don't understand it. As for the sets, I don't think there was a lot of money spent on that department. No. (laughs) There's lots of flight bays, white-walled rooms, and then there's the room with the disco in. Um, So... I don't think there's much. I mean, these may, the next bit may go in special effects, but if we're talking sets, I, I did like a couple of the uh, the map painting shot, um, yes, which are quite nice. Yes, so, actually, we're, yes. so when they're looking over the city, when they're on that that one shot when they go outside in the city they're just overlooking it so that's quite nice and it's also good when he goes out to the ruined city of chicago or whatever and the the shot of the city in the background and then the yeah. ru- ruins is i thought they were quite nice map painting so they're, they're, they're quite good so they look they look all right there's not really much to say though it's obviously shot on a budget and you can probably count the number of sets on one hand but i suppose you know the story is quite self-contained they don't need to do a lot so it gives it, it just fits the story they're trying to tell so there's there's not a lot you know the costumes they all wear the very similar sort of thing i mean books opening costume is just a grubby astronaut well it's just a grubby suit in it you know so, yeah, um, yeah. One, one piece suit and then he gets Dirty dressed up in, suit. yeah then he gets dressed up in the the official wear of the thing of the um whatever, the they, whatever they're called the, yeah the white <laughs> suit and then he gets the black red uh sash thing and then he looks like a pirate at one point it's nothing mm. nothing amazing there's no there's no particular you know i don't look at this and go ah oh, yeah there's some good design for the uh for these sets and costumes here but you know got tiger man yes <laughs> and it's true tiger man you? and kane for for um Book Rogers, yeah, I agree. Actually, I mean, you can't you can't really dr- judge it by what Princess Adala wears because she doesn't really wear much or anything really. <laughs> and of course, uh, Colonel Deering basically goes from wearing white to, I mean, in the in the, the this pilot, she just wears kind of one piece kind of spacesuits, you know, not spacesuits, yes. but you know, it's quite snug like, fitting. They're like, they're like naval outfits, aren't they? They're yeah, just, n- yeah, basically naval outfits. The weirdly, their their space helmets have a weird widow's peak on them. Which is really strange. So they have kind of a pointy peak. Yes. But other than that, yeah, they they kind of they do have kind of a sort of a more of a traditional pilot's look to their space costumes, and then there's a naval tradition in them, like yeah. you say. But like you say, for the enemies, they're all kind of just like, for me the Genghis Khan slash samurai, and they've all got kind of samurai helmets. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> I reckon it's what they found in the back lot. Yeah, I was going to say. I think they went to a back room and they just discovered. Like, hey, guess what? There's 60 samurai outfits here. Well, they'll do. <laughs> Draconian samurai, same difference, space samurais. <laughs> so yeah, there is that. And um, any other costumes are kind of just, they kind of function in that space. There's no derivation though from it. They're either in in sort of formal dress, space, no, the white, so the formal dress with the blue, the white outfits for just day wear, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> because even the science science guys all wear the same thing. And Book very wears a variation of those depending on whether he's imprisoned or whether he's being, you know, let loose or whatever. And the Draconians, well, like I said, they're space samurais. The only variations, of course, is Tigerman and Princess Adela, who kind of wear crazy shit. Because at one point she's wearing like a inverted horned hairy hat, <laughs> which, looks, which looks like a sort of a chandelier, while she's dancing around in a space bikini. All very, very strange. But that's, yeah. that is, yeah, I, I agree with you. Sets-wise, they are really limited on Book Rogers. And that's actually something I didn't realise till I rewatched it for this, how limiting the, there are. Because other than Deering's office, which seems to double up as Book's prison and um, the, uh, <laughs> and the other science guy's office. Yeah, and, and his questioning room. Else. And then they just turn the lights off for the trial because that's the same room, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> just for the trial. And then you've got um, the at the sort of bay of the draconian spaceship is the same. You see it from about five different angles and they're all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, other than Ardala's bedroom, which is just a bed, or a swimming pool, which is just, I'm guessing they just went to a spa and filmed for a day, I think. Um, <laughs> and just put the, put the lights on, light, you know, on red for sexy red mode. <laughs> Um, tonight, more lip gloss. Um, more lip gloss. <laughs> tonight, on Bug Rogers, Adala <laughs> goes into the red room. 
Um, and then the rest of it, like you said, the only scene where there's actually a lot of people and a lot of stuff happening because everything else is quite enclosed is the, of course the, the magnificent ball dance with the ding 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 ding, 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 ding. <laughs> where they just you know the dance the dance is half turn left and put your hand in the air with your with your ball half turn to the left and raise your ball lower your ball and raise your ball. So and of course, as we said, but Rogers masters that in seconds before in he seconds. gets them to get them to get down and boogie. But that's that. Yeah, that, the sets are very limited in there, um, and that's different for Battlestar. So to just mention the way it works with Battlestar, that was actually for its time quite a big budget, and they had a fairly extensive range of costumes and sets. Most of which, um, most of the action, of course. So outside outside of the visual effects, most of the action of Battlestar itself is seen from is either the bridge and the crew quarters. So generally, locations upon the Battlestar Galactica itself. And I think where you see the other spaceships of the fleet, they're kind of just corridors lit differently from the same angle. So they yeah. don't vary that much. I mean, one of the corridors is basically space bunk. It's a space bed bunks corridor where there's just loads <laughs> of people on bed bunks. Just so that's the you know the bed bunk spaceships like that's the bunk spaceship. Um, with the exception of the one where they go to the party room, but you don't really see the party room. You just see that guy sort of sat in his chair going, "Have some grapes. Why are you here? You're not stealing my food." Um, so. When you see the Battlestar Galactica, you, send, you tend to see either the launch bays and the, the launch windows. And there is some full-size Viper craft in there. So they've obviously built some important stuff in that bit. And, of course, then you'll see the, the, the actual bridge of the Battlestar Galactica itself, which is a bridge for a spaceship I really, really like because it looks like a big space bridge with a great big viewing window and, and loads of people you know, all looking at their computer screens and stuff like that. I quite like that about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first half, and you don't really see a lot of the, you see from the Cylon point of view, you see the Imperious leader on a giant chair um, <laughs> and Cylon's looking up at him through the glass door room that he lives in. And you don't really see anything else inside of the uh, base stars at all. You see the a wider shot of that, but that's again, that's more visual effects. And then, of course, the interior of the Raiders ship from the is like a three Cylon craft, isn't it? Where they're lit by what looks like a one bright light outside of some Venetian blinds. Yeah. Where you've got two pilots at the front and one at the back. White takes three pilots and it doesn't matter. Let's not <laughs> yeah, talk about it. So know. you don't see the Cylons actually remain quite a, a set mystery. You don't see a lot of them or about them. Um, no. Which is I quite I quite like that, and later of course it's kind of ruined in the second half when you introduce the stupid planet, the you know the space casino planet, which just looks like a well lit you know it's not really a casino. I don't know none of the games in that casino make any sense anyway. Um, no. and they just start throw these little tiny little I guess the currency what they are is like little little squared gold squares. So the cubits I think they're called, and it's like hey look I've got a full pyramid, hey cubits for everyone. It's like. Well, <laughs> And I think the point of it was that they were, the Ovians are letting everybody win so they can trap them in their space caves um, for, for food and all that. But anyway, so the sets that you see there, that you see on Carillon, which is the only other main location. There's a slight ex- exterior location, nothing exciting. It's kind of all dark, so you don't think it's clever to film the exterior location of the planet in the dark so you can't see anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the interior, of course, is either Space Casino, um, which is just, I guess it probably is just a casino just lit with space lights. I don't know. And then it's obviously there's the <laughs> mysterious lift. Light. <laughs> lights. There's the mysterious lift with the, uh, with the, with the, with the strange dot control system. And where you go, I want to go to the fourth full piece. That's four dots. Boop. Instead of just the number four, which would make more sense. Cause there's only, you can't, there's only so many lights of that system you can have on a panel. Cause there's yeah. only so many, you can only like eight floors. If you've got 20 floors, you can have 20 dots. It's like too many dots. Well, you're going to have like, more than 20 because you have 20, then you're going to have 19, then you're going to have 18, That's what I mean. That's what I mean. So, you're gonna, so it started with one dot. The panel for the controls of the door would be about eight metres long. <laughs> Which floor do you want? Oh, I need to float 64th floor. Oh, my God, we're going to have to climb down the ladders for that one. It's way down there on this, this massive space lift. Um, anyway, 
And then there's the underground caves bit, which is not what you'd call great. Um, it, this is say it really all falls apart. It's a shame, really. So mm-hmm. the sets generally, generally on the Battlestar are good. Everything else, you don't see the silence, and then everything else is kind of a bit of an afterthought. Costumes-wise, um, there's an odd aesthetic to the costumes. The uniforms of the Colonial Viper squads, kind of a tan brown leather flight jacket, which I thought was looked quite looks kind of cool. Very Han Solo-y, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but oddly Egyptian looking helmets. And I couldn't Weirdly, tell whether they had a, yeah. well, they, they've got like a pharaoh are, design on them. Don't forget they are, you know, they are the ancient forebears to one of our Taltex, ancient, yeah. ancient so, so, civilizations. So I'm guessing that's what, you know, that's what the, uh, possibly Jim's on. Maybe they're Taltec helmets. It's all Taltec <laughs> technology, that. Taltec. 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 That's where you got it from. And they've got like a pharaoh, pharaoh like uh, quality to the design. So they've got like you know the pharaoh death mask kind of with yeah. the sort of gold side. I don't know what you call them, but you get the idea of what I'm describing. They have no visors, or at least I couldn't see if they had visors, which I imagine is quite an issue. But then again, maybe it just avoids endless amounts of space fog. I imagine, I imagine so. if the um, if the windscreen goes, you've got more more things to worry about than just having a visor. Yeah, yeah it depressurizes. You're dead meat, aren't you? So you, yeah, you know, your, face, your face is going to get sucked out of that mask anyway. So that so that in the mainstay of the costumes you see the colonial colonies, other than when they do their they go for, to their awards they go for their dress costumes which look exactly like their ordinary costumes but with longer sleeves. Um, so <laughs> don't I'm not forget, quite sure what the plan there was. Don't forget the the, uh, the half cloaks. Oh, of course, the yeah, the, the stupid half. I forgot because Boxy the little brat wears one, doesn't he, with his stupid the robot stupid dog? Stupid half cloaks. And I completely stupid. forgot about the robot dog stupid. when we mentioned the stupid bloody characters. Oh. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, they do have this sort of with these dress costumes. And the, the officers all kind of wear a blue variation of the same thing, more of a sort of formal blue, again, naval tradition type costumes, wearing their pips and their and their yeah. various sort of, you know, banners and things and their, their rank. The Counts of the Twelve just kind of wear sheets, bed sheets. They just kind of wander around <laughs> in bed sheets, just like, they're, 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 they're a party gang. They just wander around wanting parties all the time. Let's just have a party. Come on, have a party. They're just working Break from out home. Tea and biscuits. They just so, never get dressed. <laughs> the tea and biscuits. I want a party. Come on. I'm really land. I'm Sayori. <laughs> Make me some tea and biscuits. <laughs> Make me some tea and biscuits. I wanted to care peace because oh, we, we, oh. we needed more parties needed. <laughs> some um, grapes. And then female costumes in this, generally speaking, they're, they're either, there's only the two main characters in it. Um, sorry, three main characters. Jane Seymour kind of wears, I guess you'd call them space traveler clothes. <laughs> So she just, you know, she just dresses for space travel. I mean, that's, not, she's not really wearing anything spectacularly glamorous. I think there's one moment when she, she's wearing something more glamorous and Apollo's sort of, oh, you look kind of different. I've never seen you like that before. But Cassiopeia basically wears kind of sort of light sort of... Um, well, she's a socialite, isn't she? You know, it's a dirty socialite. Socializer. She's a dirty socialite. A, so- yeah, a, so- a socialite. I can't remember. But she wears yeah. kind of, not skimpy clothes, but light sort of, you know, relatively skimpy clothes, I suppose. Um, but all kind of in foils, bright, shiny colors. You know, then when they bump into the woman that comes out of the casino all excited, she's wearing some kind of flowered, feathered headdress and, and dressed like some kind of dancer in Vegas. I don't understand the costumes of the, the space <laughs> casino. It's bizarre. But those are the mainstay of the costumes. Are they any good? Well, and of course, the final costume to mention there is is the the Cylons themselves, who are shiny. Now, them <laughs> Cylons are shiny. I mean, that is shiny, shiny and plump. Their commitment to <laughs> shiny and clearly, you know, liking their liking their uh, bread and pizza. <laughs> Wait, loads loads of it. They're, they're like barrels. They're so wide across the middle. They're walking like oh, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> they're like gamory and guards. No, no, they do sort of humph about. You know, plodging, plodging heavily. How, I don't know how they fit three in a in a in a uh, silent raider. Well, 
It's just a good job they've discovered anti-grav because like, when they when, when they get in, it goes. Shift up, would you shift up? Shift up. <laughs> I can't. I can't fit in. Turn up. Turn up. The anti-gravity. The wings have just hit the floor. Have Could you, you put eating? your seat forward, please? I can't get my legs in. <laughs> How many burgers did you have for tea? <laughs> but so yes they're heavy very shiny i, I like it i mean i i admire that commitment to being that shiny and um, because every time they're lit in the show they're, they're like they're properly shiny i know who so buffs I, I, them well that's this i came to i came to the conclusion that of utmost importance to the silence is a human genocide and b shiny armor like polish <laughs> um i mean i mean they even have little swords don't they they have for some reason they have little swords and they also have little Roman skirts as well. So they're kind of weird Roman. Well, they call them centurions, don't they? So I'm guessing there is a. Someone said to him, What are these silence? He goes, Oh, we're calling them centurions. And he's gone, Centurions? Hmm, you mean Roman, Roman, <laughs> Roman. And of course, that's why they've got that thin strip least, across the middle of the red. <laughs> they've got that thin metal strip across the middle of the red, and they carry the mini sword, like a proper little um, dagger. What do you call yeah. the Roman swords? I can't remember. The gladius, um, isn't it? Gladius, yeah. And they've got the little capes, not the capes, the little skirt things. So, yeah, costumes for the for the Cylons. You don't really see the the uh, imperious leader as such. You see the back of his head and his giant space collar. Because all good villains have a giant space collar, um, yeah. but that's all you really see. And Baltar, of course, because he's the dastardly evil one. He has kind of a green and black outfit and a and a sort of. And he always looks kind of <laughs> one way, one step away from putting his <laughs> finger to his mouth, Doctor Evil style, <laughs> going it <laughs> Cylons. Um, but of course, he comes a cropper, doesn't he? Because he falls foul of the Cylons for not delivering the you know, the peace treaty and the double cross, yeah. and so he ends up with his head on a block as well in a mysterious scene. Um, but you never really, you, you don't see the aftermath, so I presume he doesn't die because he comes back in later episodes, doesn't he? He does come back in later episodes, yeah. It all gets very strange in later episodes. No point in, you know, going over, over no, I suppose, now because of the planet. But it, it does get very weird when he confronts yeah. Patrick McNee. But let's just, um, we'll leave, I'll leave that with you for your imagination of why that even happens. Yeah. So, sets of costumes then, Adrian. We've got to make a decision. The decision has to be made. What are you feeling about the scores on the doors? Well, I mean, for, for Battlestar, just to say, I... I pretty much similar with you um it's very military there's lots of silk and flowing stuff for the civilians uh for the sets i'd like to there's i'd like to look the the, the galactica looks a bit new everything looks True. A bit new so i'd like a bit more wear on there and i forgot i just forgot to mention there was the there is the scene on the planets when you like, when you see them being bombed by the cylons so there is some ex, there is some set work there yeah, which is yeah there is i guess i guess they're models when you see you know lots of buildings yeah. collapse in and you do see that dog get squashed which is kind of mean it's kind of mean i thought the uh grand theater the, the supreme leader wherever he is um i thought it looked like the inside of a cinema <laughs> it does look like, it looks a, like a big screen behind him so get out, fil- said Sharon. I'm trying to watch my <laughs> new film. <laughs> trying to watch this film in massive cinemascope. Um, <laughs> is it an IMAX? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, like, <laughs> uh, mostly, I just hate those half cloaks. I just hate them. It's yeah. neither one thing nor the other. A cloak, just to you know, to just above your lower back. It's not a cloak. It's just a. <laughs> it's just a jumper tied around your, your neck. Yes, unfortunately, you're like right. That. You know, they look awful. However, I think it's uh, okay. I mean, I gave I gave Battlestar a seven for this. Where would you yeah. where did you land? Yeah, I did same exactly the same score, so I gave it seven. And we got seven for that. Where did you land for Book Rogers? I gave it a five, I'm afraid. Five, okay. I, I gave it a six, if only for Tiger Man and Kane. Yeah, uh, we could compromise if you like and give it a six. I'm happy. I'm happy because it's still low at the Battlestar, regardless. So at this point, yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. 
Okay. I think it's just yeah. Battlestar had more money. Yeah, I think that is genuinely the, the rationale here. I think they yeah. did have more money and it was, bit, I think, a little bit more premium and certainly had you know, yeah. a little bit more weight put to it. So, yeah, absolutely. So there's our scores, I'm afraid. Battlestar Galactica romping away with it again with its shiny Cylon glory and coming <laughs> in with a seven. But Rogers... In spite of all of their ball dancing and all of their and all of their ding ding diddling diddling left <laughs> and up with the ball to the right. <laughs> Despite all of their fancy dancing and fancy pantses and costumes, it is just a bunch of space samurais, isn't it? It and really I'm is. It, they did just find those. They definitely found those in a skip at the back of the <laughs> yeah. film lot. So in yeah, the back Book Rogers, Paramount, you score so. six. You are trailing, Mister Rogers, trailing in this battle. Goodness me. Let's see if things can change in our next few um, battlegrounds. Should we move into music and sound effects? I think it's very important because these are now coming up to the kind of key things about these shows, of course. All these fancy things have costumes and stories and characters and all those things, but we're coming up to some of the things that really sold it to the audiences around the world right now. So let's talk music sound effects. Battlestar. Battlestar. <laughs> um, okay, the May theme is great. It's it's great. I'm not going to, you know, if we talk about cracking opening themes um, for a science fiction show, then this piece of music, dun, 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 it's great. It's an iconic sci-fi theme that works perfectly. Stu Phillips um, composed it. It's performed by the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, and it just, it sets the tone from the opening, dun, dun. And then the way it sort of just kicks into the main fanfare theme. Brilliant stuff. I think what they've obviously gone for here, they've asked for something in the mold of John Williams. Yes. You know, they've said they've said, look, listen to Star Wars. And it was Superman out at this point. May have been, I don't know if it was or not. Listen to those, and that's what we want. We want something along the lines of that. And and then that's the thing. The only problem I have is that it's a shame it doesn't last for the entirety of the opening credits. <laughs> it just runs out. It just stops about three quarters of the way through and just starts again. So it's like, crap. How long did you say this needed to be? <laughs> did we play it too fast? <laughs> uh, it made me laugh loads because then it's like, and then the credits end and it's just, <laughs> just him going. You see him, the conduction going. Oh, stop, 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 stop. It's very odd. It doesn't ruin it, but it's, you know, it's funny when I watched it, it made me laugh. And and so, yeah, that, that theme tune is, like I said, it's iconic. It, it works. It's, it's a supremely good sci-fi anthem. It would probably be on sci-fi hits, albums done by Jeff Love and his orchestra. Um, yes, so de- I don't de- doubt there's a version of that 80s. somewhere. Um, it would probably have been discoed up at some point, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is it is really good. The rest of the music, though, it's all right. Typical soundtrack fare, really. But it yeah. does get really dramatic in some places for no real reason. Does, like the, yeah. the, the first point where Apollo and, uh, what's his name, his brother, um, when they blast Zach. off, Zach, when they just blast off, into because uh, they go on the patrol the music's dead tense but they're just flying off <laughs> yeah it is yeah like what, what's going on something's going on but nothing's going on i also think as well that do you think zach is really annoyed that he's not got a cool call sign yeah i think he's he's i'm not sure quite what happened with that character really he, <laughs> no he did they just needed some sort of uh they need some pathos didn't they like, someone's yeah. got to die yeah, so we'll and it's going to be in. <laughs> yeah, sound effects. So yeah, the the soundtrack. It's okay. That that main theme is what sells this 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 yes. on the get go. But the rest of it, 
it's all right. When it does come back, it's nice. When you hear that main theme, when it comes back at certain points, it's always good to hear. But the rest of it, there's there's nothing that really st- stood out to me when I was watching it as going, oh, that's a good bit of music. I like that. Um, sound effects are all right. They fit well. It's got some great whoosh. I suppose whooshing noises as the vipers launch. Yeah, that that, that noise as they they launch out of the the, the launch tubes. Um, that's quite good. Uh, the laser sounds get old pretty quickly, and if you thought they get old here, then Buck Rogers is going <laughs> to yeah, hang on to your hats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the explosion sounds as well. Yeah, it's all right. Th- those sound effects are all right. However, what it does have though, I know we're laughing about it earlier. It's got the voices of the Cylons. Um, yes, it does, and, and, and the laser eyes moving back and forth, and just as a visual a bit of visual iconography. You know, we'll see that influence down the line. Things like Night Rider would nick it, and things like that, and that that red yep. back and forth, and the start. Yeah, yeah, it's just cool. It's just a cool, cool touch. And it, it makes them really menacing. And then couple that with that voices that I think they've probably used some kind of vocoder, aren't they? Um, a complex vocoder yeah, set up so, for that, yeah. So there's a vocoder style effect, and then they really sound like robots, and they're utterly inhuman, apart from the sarcastic one at the end. But, you know, <laughs> there's a sense of menace to them, and that's that's really good. And I think that that coupled with the theme is what really sells this, sells Battlestar to me from a sound effects music kind of point. Yeah. I just that those are it. The rest of it, it's just good sci-fi noises. Nothing stood out as terrible, but nothing stood out as amazing either. I don't think those things. What about you? Yeah, with Battlestar, I mean, obviously, I, I love the opening theme because it is great. You know, right? Even when you get the sort of and you get Patrick Knee. Some believe, you know, they were <laughs> they were wearing Toltec hats, but they stole from the Toltec warehouse <laughs> on Toltec, the planet Toltec. Um, <laughs> But um, so there's that, and then there's obviously that, you know, the bigger ramp. It's an iconic theme. Um, I mean, they even use it, I think. It even gets used in some films later down the line. I think Airplane 2 uses it a little bit when they have a, um, so there's so, a bit, yeah. the opening credits of Airplane 2, I'm pretty sure use the, use the Battlestar Galactica music. So it is iconic. And there is that. Now, the in sort of, t- the music, the sort of incidental music is a little bit weaker, isn't it? Yeah. Because it goes from either... So it has this kind of diddly diddly music when things are kind of getting a bit crazy. So they, you know, or whenever, and it always kills me every time they introduce the silence, you get the you know, this kind of dramatic drop in sort of no chords. I don't, you need some like Rick Beato from the music to tell you exactly what chord progression. It's a minor sixth diminished fifth chord to a, Whatever that is, but it does that. So it's kind of a variation between that. Sometimes you get the excited version of the main theme. So you get all that kind of thing in Battlestar Galactica. But the key thing, the key takeaway from all of that is it's obviously all based around the main theme and it's cheap to do it like that because they just don't have to create lots of music. They just needed, it's all about economies of scale with with these TV shows. Mm. They're not films. They don't have the same, nearly the same budget, certainly not at this time. So they do reuse what they can and reuse the themes. And all right, the main theme does get away with it. Sound effects wise, well, yeah, you're going to get sick of hearing them. Um, they're the same kind of lazy, shooty sounds. <laughs> sort of, you'd, you know, at least this is, the I think, the first place you'll encounter them. You might encounter, might have encountered some in some Roger Corman movies, I suspect as well. Probably. But, you know, the kind of good laser shooting sounds and all the kind of sounds you kind of expect, nothing you don't. The blow, obviously blowing up sound effects, the launch tube sound effects, you know, when we're going to, you know, you're going to, these sound hauntingly familiar when we come to Book Rogers, um, they're all okay. Nothing too bad about that. But as you rightly point out, the greatest triumph here is those silent voices. They are incredible. There's actually a series of YouTube videos, um, which we'll link in the show notes for this, where a guy tr- tries to recreate those. And it's actually really, really 
complicated because some of the technology they use in the studio to recreate the sound voices is is crazy. It's crazy complicated to do. It's like it's not just like they plug it into the Cylon voice machine and go, there you go. There's about nine different vocoders and tricks and all sorts to get that Cylon sound effect. And even now, because some of the technology that they use doesn't exist because the studio binned it or got rid of some of the I imagine a lot vocoders. of analog, analog weird Exactly. Stuff, and because yeah. and the nature of analog, of course, is that no two analog machines are really kind of the same. So it's very difficult to recreate digitally. But I'll put the link to those things. But that's their voices are amazing. They're, they're my favorite thing about it and the eye that goes, the eye sound. They're my favorite thing about this, this whole thing that I think the silence are a great enemy and that really makes them, their voice totally it's a, it's totally robotic and cold, you know, and they're just endlessly following this kind of programming. This, you know, they say by your command at the end of everything. Would you like a cup of tea? By your command. Would you like, you know, would you like a drink? By your command. It's like just stop saying, but, but they can't. It's, and it's this. I love that automotive robotic control mindset of them. Even though the imperialist leader is obviously some kind of well-spoken English thespian, it doesn't matter about that. You've got those Cylons, and they are they are cold sounding. That robot voice is quite. I think it's as easily as powerful as the Daleks in terms of a robot voice in a deadly enemy character. Mm. Certainly, certainly brilliant. So they do have that. Moving on to Book Rogers. Um, the opening theme of Book Rogers for the pilot is a song called Suspension. It was composed and conducted by the same Stu Phillips yeah. that composed the Battlestar Galactica theme, and it was performed by a person called Kip Lennon. Now, I don't know how much you know about Kip Lennon, Adrian, but I'm, did I'm you know this? He sang the Michael Jackson songs in the Stark Raving Dad episode of The Simpsons. So, yes. so due to contractual obligation at the time, Michael Jackson wasn't allowed to sing those songs. But he did do the voice of Leon Kampowski, I think the character yeah, was the called. Yeah, the, um, uh, the guy in the mental asylum. Yes. But when he sang Lisa's Birthday and the other couple of songs, Happy Birthday, Lisa, that was actually uh, Kip Lennon, the guy that sang Suspension. And of course, the Suspension song in Book Rogers, Far Beyond. <laughs> Awful, <laughs> horrible intro music. Awful, and the opening sequence is just plain weird. So, and then so I mean, I mean, it's a theatrical release. I, okay, I get it. And so they clearly ramped up the sexy for the dads in the theater. I think because it's just Eric Gray and and the uh, Adala basically rolling around on the floor with books sort of and another character you'd never see again. There's, there's four, there's four or five different women in that. I was going to say just just rolling around on the floor in in you know sexy clothes. Um, and periodically kissing book and like rolling around with it. Yeah. It's really, also rolling around really on, a, weird. On, a, on a massive Book Rogers sign. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, genuinely It's just his name in, in massive letters on the floor. It's, like, it's really weird. And it's not the same one that made it into the TV show either. The, the opening credits for the TV show are completely different. Good. So, so because they have him sort of this image of books of animated falling to the earth and 500 years later and all that, mm. you know, to cue the clock spinning forward and all that kind of thing. So you don't get any of that here. It's just, you know, it's kind of a sexy kind of, show it's like hot, a hot gossip show or legs and co from top of the pops just decided to do an intro for bug rogers in the 25th century it's gonna get a little blue so it's a bit it's a bit saucy that isn't it that opening um and then the rest of the sound effects in there well they're kind of borrowed from Battlestar galactica yes so almost every sound effect in this is basically Battlestar galactica well they are basic they are basically Battlestar galactica they are exactly those the launch tube sounds <laughs> The flying spaceship sounds, the ins- the, the inside sound of these spaceships, um, all the laser gun sounds across the whole yeah. lot. Every sound effect in it is the same, exactly the same as the one in Battlestar Galactica. Even when the spaceships do flybys after they've heroically blown up one of the draconian pirate ships, you get the exact same flyby sound. They sound the same. So economies of scale being what they are, and this being produced by essentially the same person, that tells me that there's a reason why. And also, some of the obviously the sound being created probably by the same team that created the Battlestar Galactica. 
they clearly put all their effort into Battlestar Galactica. And then when they, when Buck Rogers production team came, have you got any sound effects? And we have some of our own sound effects. Like, no, no, you could just use these. A laser gun's <laughs> a laser gun, right? You know, we're all from Toltec anyway. What does it matter? So just, you know. <laughs> so to me, this, in Buck Rogers, you don't have the, you know, the same level of sound design that you do in Battlestar. So you do get the laser sounds, the launch, the launch tube sounds, which by the way, is now my launch tube sound. I can't, Someone said to me, it's you said, it said the word launch tube for me in Spaceship. I think of that. I think of that, that kind of that sound effect. I do. I just can't help it. All the vehicle explosions and space you know, explosions are all the same. Recycled for parts like to go one way or another. So there's no real, I don't think they invented any new sound effects. Of course, it does have its space disco, which um, <laughs> is unique to Buck Rogers. There's no space disco. In, the, in, in all fairness, they try and match it, don't they? Because Bats like Galactica in the casino, they have the triple-mouthed singers, the trio they, of singers, with, so the nine mouths of the singers, which is, I think it's some kind of homage to some Motown singers. I don't know what they were thinking of when they made that. It's no. really weird. They sing this really odd song where at the end, one of the singers does a, a, low, a note, sings a note so low that it shatters someone's glass, but yep. only one person's glass. <laughs> <laughs> Not only can he sing at that note, he can target specific people's drinks. <laughs> He should have been on the X. He's on the equivalent of the X Factor at the time. <laughs> so, and and then in a, in a weird twist at that point, Starbuck tries to almost book them for some purpose I can't identify because it's what's he going to do with them? He's going to be an agent in some what universe? He's just left the twelve colonies have all been nuked, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm thinking about booking you for my wedding." <laughs> how much? How much do you charge? I don't know. It's just very weird. So they do have that, but but Rogers counteracts that with, of course, with its space disco where. Book goes into the dance, and of course they're doing the do do did the ball that did it left to the left and up with the ball, <laughs> and then he's and of course he goes to the people playing the music, the live band, and then challenges them to get down. So you know he just says to them, you know, go, let it go. You've got to let yourself go. Let yourself go with the music. You know they're coming in with this first step. Ding diddling ding do do. No 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 no. Let yourself go. And he's like okay. To which, obviously, Book starts getting down and getting funky and uh, challenges the Princess Adala. And he says, you know, don't you don't get involved if it, if it scares you. She's like, nothing scares me. She starts doing a slinky dance and she's like, diddly dude. And everyone's getting down and getting into it. The room fills with that. People just dancing. They have no idea what that is, that sound. It's like, no, <laughs> sit there and quote, that's weird. What is that? They all just instantly know that it's a, you know, a 4-4 disco beat from the 70s in the in the US, <laughs> circa 500 and plus years ago. It's time to get down, it's, which yeah, is weird. It's a, it's a pretty good, um, good guess from that pianist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could have gone to any, you know, could have been anything, couldn't he? Five hundred years worth of music. Just let yourself go, go down. Okay, I, I, I think you want this. Can you imagine <laughs> if you went, you just started playing Chaz and Day, rabbit, 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 rabbit. It's like no, 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 no. Let yourself go. Okay, okay. We're it's in the army now. Wonderful life. <laughs> gold, gold. Always barely. For, no, there's no time for that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know quite why they picked that particular thing. I guess, you know, it was of its time, wasn't it? It was yeah, late very much. in the disco era. But the whole sequence is weird, but it does have that. It completely sticks out, though, in Book Rogers, the, in, in the sense that that scene is almost pointless. They're not sure quite what its purpose it serves other than to get Commander Deering all worked up about Book and his dancing because she says, it's disgusting. And then the next beat, she's like, Book, do, do I need to do more of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can dance too, Book. 
their character is so ruined. It so is. ruined. <laughs> so that so that's my take. What about yours on the, the old? Uh... Yeah, it's that theme. I can't get past that theme tune. I've been trying to w- w- since watching it. I've been you know giving it some serious thought and trying to rationalise it in my head. I just can't. I can't rationalise that tune. <laughs> the use of it. I, the only thing I can think of is that they were going for some kind of James Bond style opening. Yes, I think that's exactly what they were going but for. It, but it completely misses the mark. It, and it, it recalls to mind that terrible opening theme to Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, yes, yes. In, in the way that that was completely rubbish. But it's, it's never something you want to be reminded of. I'm sorry if any of the listeners actually you know, like Star Trek Enterprise and that theme tune, but for God's sake. No. And like you've noted, they're the same sound effects of the lasers in Battlestar, aren't they? So yep. apart from that disco scene, which obviously we were just <laughs> chatting about, but you know, it is what it is. Aside from the main theme of the disco it's all pretty forgettable. There's nothing really much in there. The laces are Nick from Battlestar. I don't, I don't rate the sound, and yeah, it's not. It, it doesn't work for me. I, I couldn't get past that theme tune, and the disco tune is stupid. <laughs> and uh, to be fair, the only bit I do like is the ding, ding, did it, ding, 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 diddle, ding. <laughs> the ball dance. Yeah. Sounds like the beginning of another song. Ding, ding, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Um, uh, live a lonely life. Sounds like that. It does sound like that, yeah. <laughs> Is that, Ace right, of bass. Ace, Ace of bass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I'm surprised nobody's reduxed that scene with all, just tried different sounds and songs to see what would go with it. <laughs> I might do, do it do, myself. Do, 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 when they're do, all doing do. the do 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 do, you know, you could put all sorts of songs to that. <laughs> you could, I might you have should to try that. Oh my God, uh, I might have to do that. So, what are we scoring these then? Well, I I think the clear. I mean, I, I gave Battlestar Galactica, well, I gave Battlestar Galactica an, an eight because I, I love the eight. sound of the silence. Exactly what I gave it. So, I think that's and I was in agreement with an eight. Poor old Book Rogers, though. I gave it a four because I'm I happy to. I gave it a five, but yeah, on on. On further on further um, rationalization of the opening theme tune, it doesn't deserve anything more. And no. they use it over the end credits as well. You know, it's a double whammy. They do, they do, it's bookended. Yeah. The film is bookended by that nonsense. <laughs> I'm not having that. No, for oh dear, it's not doing very well, is it? Battlestar way out in front. It's going to have to be some. It's going to have to be a Wil- Wilma Daring whiplash U-turn for Book Rogers to pull this one out of the fire. <laughs> I know it's been horribly beaten. It it's, really it's quite is. brutal to watch. He's just it been really slapped is. down. Dr. Theopolis ain't saving him now at the minute. <laughs> no, all of his rationalising. I think Book Rogers is far better. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, you. Doogie, doogie, doogie. Now, don't you interrupt me, Tweaky. I've told you about that. <laughs> uh, let's move. Right. Visual effects? Should we get into this? Yes. I think it's visual effects time. Do you want to do Battlestar first, or should we do Book yes. Rogers? No, I'll, I'll I'll start with Battlestar this time. So obviously, these shows are about their visual effects, and, and they're all obviously coming off the back of Star Wars and Silent Running, and there's a whole suite of films. Now, the brains behind the visual effects for Battlestar Galactica was John Dykstra. 
John Dykstra was previously responsible for films like Silent Running. He worked with the guy that made Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, Doug Trumbull, who also did Star Trek The Motion Picture. And of course, he also worked on Star Wars. So the guy had an incredible pedigree Mm -hmm. of doing visual effects. And around 1979, he left uh, Industrial Light and Magic, which he was a part of, of course, with him being part of Star Wars and Lucas and all that, to form his own state-of-the-art VFX company called Apogee, believe it or not. So he created Apogee. Apogee is still going, I think, Um, although that might be under other guys. Anyway, so his first major project with Apogee was the original Battlestar Galactica, in which he also served as a producer. Now, I didn't realize that until I came to look that, yeah, John Dexter was a producer of Battlestar Galactica. Um, mm-hmm. So months before any actors signed to do Battlestar Galactica, they began working on a series of, of all the effects for the various series. That included creating 45 spacecraft, the Muffet costume, which is the robot dog, the Ovians. I wouldn't say that was a, a successful costume for the Ovians, but no. um, I've got an Ovian here. Should we ask them? What did you think to your costume? <laughs> <laughs> well, who was asking you anyway? Um, as well as the optic effects for the Vipers, obviously, and the Galactica itself. So there were over 300 separate effect sequences that were created for um, Battlestar Galactica, which actually beats the number of effect sequences that were in Star Wars by about 15%. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm. And prior to the, um, and that's all obviously prior to the remastered versions, none of the new stuff. Now, many of the effects that you see in Battlestar Galactica are reused. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but... The actual visual effects themselves, they're all obviously based around using giant models and using motion-controlled cameras to create that kind of visual effect. So a technique that was pioneered and mastered, really, during 2001 A Space Odyssey, and that came to be the way you made those things, and obviously Star Wars and everything else. So John Dykstra obviously became a bit of a master at utilising that technique. So he'd created a a more viable way of doing that by obviously creating a a, a much simpler variation of doing those light passes so that you could create them a lot quicker, which, of course, the demands of TV were. So what they did was create a big library of stuff that they could use. So they obviously shot certain sequences like the Cylons sort of um, form, forming a sort of a, um, I guess you call them a punch, an attack pattern. Yeah, I was trying to think of the words. So forming an attack pattern, then you'd obviously have them swooping down and turning around and flipping over and just, you know, that idea of there being a space battle akin to this kind of Star Wars space battles. And obviously the entire iconography of what this is about is, is built around that Star Wars idea, trying to capture some of that. So the Vipers... There's no no accident that the Colonial Vipers look a lot like X-Wing fighters from Star Wars. Mm. The Cylon Raiders, well, they kind of look like Frisbees, a little bit like upside-down Frisbees, really. But they do they are, they are do look quite nice. They're actually one of my favourite sort of TV spaceships. They look brilliant. They do look like flying saucers, but at least they you know they have, they have a kind of purpose and direction. And, they, they, and I've always liked one thing about this is the, the economies of scale are very good in Battlestar Galactica. So the Battlestar Galactica stuff looks massive. And when the Vipers come out of it, they look kind of small. When the... When the um, raiders, the the silent raiders emerge from the mothership, the uh, base star. They all kind of flood out of the base star, and sometimes it looks like there's maybe two or three, but they do at least. There's quite a consistent pattern to them. Obviously, in that opening sequence, you see kind of a planet. They, there's some there's some genuine attempts to create some really good space effects. So when you see a planet, you see that, and it's obviously it's a much bigger jump up from things like Star Trek, which perhaps people would have been used to at this point. So Star Trek was considered quite top ahead of its time in terms of VFX at the time. This really upped the ante in all of that. So this was you know this was film level visual effects utilized in TV and something which set the benchmark forever. And actually TV really nowadays, of course, thanks to these pioneering shows like Battlestar Galactica, the, the effects that they use in TV shows now are the same ones that there are in film and TV. They don't do a cheaper version. Something the UK science fiction teams didn't learn or utilize till a lot later than the Americans did with their show. So of course they had a bit more money in the film studios and everything else and the space. So 
the effects, special effects in Battlestar Galactica, in terms of the visuals, the Battlestar itself are great. The space battles are really good. There's lots of fly passes. For the first half of the film, you see, or at least because you've only seen them maybe once or twice at this point, so you don't mind them so much. As it starts to get more towards later on the battles, you, you, the battle towards the end of, this, of the pilot, all of the kind of space shooting sequences, you've already seen them all in the beginning part of the yep. of the battle. So you've kind of seen them all before. And so it's the same thing. You know, you're going to see one of Colonial Viper in the foreground, one in the background, and a raider, silent raider, and he's going to do-do-do-do, and you're going to see one shoot and the other one fly through the smoke. Um, and you'll get to, you're going to see all of that. And you see it loads. Every time the Viper's launched, you get that kind of bip sound. You see it from the sort of POV. And there's a lots of POV of, of um, which I think are the cheaper effect shots where you see the POV of the pilots from the outside of the Viper looking in through the cockpit because it is just clearly what the same Viper used over and over again with different people sat in it and different lights on them. And that handily enough, there's very low lighting inside that cockpit. You do see the hand, you know, the space handle, which has a gyroscope on it, which always confuses me because in space there's no horizon. So I don't quite get why a gyroscope's <laughs> going to help you. You're, not, you're never going to know whether you're straight because there's no real basis for it. You could be upside down. You're not going to know. That's true. Um, that's no what gravity, I suppose you, 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 yeah, you'd have a planet there, I suppose. So you'd be like, if the planet's, you know, but what does, would it matter? I don't, anyway, um, I like the fact that they've got like a, a, a turbo button. I'm going to hit my turbo button. Why wouldn't you just fly that fast all the time? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a fuel thing. I don't know. But either way, they do have that, and they have that kind of the jet flame shooting out the back. All those tropes of sci-fi shows that, that have because even in Star Wars, you don't get the little flames tend to, in that shooting out the back of the spaceships, which you do in Battlestar. There's little details that you don't get. The fleet, well, it, is, it looks to me like someone landed on airfix, found about 500 <laughs> airfix kits in the back of a cupboard, just glued stuff together, and because you know, some of those spaceships are really weird designs. I mean, I mean, Battlestar Galactica itself is a great one, but there's one that looks like three plates sat on top of a on top of a <laughs> <Yeah>. plank. <There's, laughs> some of them are clearly borrowed from other shows. If you look carefully in the background, you'll see. I mean, even though they said they created 45 spacecraft some of those spaceships are from battle beyond the stars because the space moose is in there if you look right in the background and a couple of the sador spaceship from battle beyond the stars is in there as well the, with the stellar converter intact um so there is a lot of that <laughs> but you get the little shuttlecraft but those visuals are good on the even on the planet then the laser effects are all are all kind of good they kind of seem to have got it got the way of doing those because star trek didn't have these kind of things but they seem to have got the way of doing the sort of laser beam effects from star wars and really quickly and easily for tv it must be some the technique that they once they'd figured out they could do it quite cheaply they just did it all the time that way and mm. um, so they actually look pretty good and then of course the spot effects actually i think some of those are the weaker ones when you see the explosions as a result of things or people getting shot those effects are where it's at its weakest yeah um but the visual visually in terms of the spaceships the stars and, the, and all of that is i think it's brilliant for Battlestar galactica it really is an amazing thing and it's what sold it to me when i was a young nipper watching this it was like this is just as good as star wars and in my mind it was as good as star wars they were, it didn't for me have any difference albeit now i look at the story and the stupidity of it all i think why was there a space dog anyway but and that stupid character was you know i'm, I'm not even going to talk about the robot dog it's pointless with its radar ears and its pointlessness it bites the ankle of a Cylon, and the, and that brings the Cylon. It's like ah, oh, not my ankle. My, that's my one weak spot. I didn't even know. Oh, oh, my ankle. <laughs> Never bite a Cylon's ankle. <laughs> oh, the pain. Oh, my um, ankle. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, uh, but what about you? I mean, that's my take on the visual effects. I, mean, I think they're brilliant. But what about you? Yeah, I don't have much more to add on Battlestar. Interesting. There's, there's a quote from him, John Dixra, on um, 
IMDb, where he, t- he actually specifically talks about the reuse of effects on Battlestar. Oh, wow. And he says that the problem is that when there's a hole in the dramatics, the tendency is to fill it in with some special effects. Unfortunately for them, I didn't shoot enough special effects to have spares lying around to fill in holes with. <laughs> I shot all the shots I said I was going to shoot, and we got all of them in the show, but we ended up having to use some of them a couple of times. So. Didn't they just? Yeah, so th- that's that's the thing. It's also how he became a producer on it as well. It's just because he wanted to uh, drive his car on the lot and get a parking spot. Um, that's it as well. <laughs> but <laughs> it's weird. Uh, there's a couple of quotes from, there from uh, IMD be no I, I think it's great i really like the designs of the ships the vipers i like the cylon raiders yeah they look a bit like plates but i think they're good the tube departures are good it feels more cohesive it feels really so there's a cohesive hold to this it feels like two 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 things at war they've both got their yeah. own designs for stuff yeah the, the the base star is different enough from the battle stars everything looks separate it, it looks nice I, I really like this um i do think the weekend again like we said this the latter half where you've got the repetitive shots yeah the insect creatures and the larvae stuff that's all a bit mm, i don't give that yeah. that's not so great but i do like the space stuff in battlestar and i think yeah. i think that looks really cool yeah because um, the base star on the planet when it gets too close to carillon in that crappy laser effect where it gets too close i'm like oh no, just blow it up now god's sake blow it up <laughs> yeah, no. yeah that's really <laughs> that's not good bad. that is really bad <laughs> um as for book rogers i don't think john dixtra had anything to do with book rogers i thought it was the same same effects no, I, I, looking on imdb he's not linked to it in any way oh. um i'm looking through all the credits so it's down the, the special effects are down to bud ewing and jack faggard okay um who as far as i can see worked on nothing else <laughs> according to imdb uh, jack faggard worked on a few other things quarantine weekend of terror the big fix somewhere in time um things like that but okay. nothing, nothing particularly major but yeah so i think it's a different i think they, they might have nick stuff but who knows it's glenn a larson productions in it so yeah well, he owns he, the footage yeah, yeah he owns it so he can <laughs> he use owns what he it, wants yeah. so i mean this starts with the uh book frozen book in his ranger three <laughs> which obviously looks suspiciously like a space shuttle so they've just gone for a space shuttle design yeah um, very popular had, at the time though weren't well they? they hadn't actually launched by this point there hadn't actually no. been a space shuttle launch by the point this came out but they had been designed, and they were they were around. I think they came. Oh, they were, yeah, they were big talking. They remember there yeah. were loads of talk about them, weren't there? Yeah, so I think the first space shuttle launch was after, just just after this. Um, yeah. But we're very much in seventies American TV sci-fi, as influenced by Star Wars. There's lots of star fields, there's lots of black outlines on the craft and models and things like oh, that. There's, there's map paintings them. for distant views and overlaid lasers everywhere. It's that we're getting that look. We know kind of what you said. And but and as you rightly said, what we also have I've got there's a reuse of shots and there's a reuse of props from Battlestar Galactica. Um, there is. The, the Terran Starfighters were an original design for the Vipers in Battlestar. Makes sense. So there's a lot of that going on. I don't think there's particularly a lot of memorable, there's not a lot that is memorable in the effects of Book Rogers. The big green force field that they used to move a ship, which when he announces it, I'd <laughs> be laughing made off. I can't remember what he says. He says something lined of, get get the ship in the force field to get it. Or some crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ain't but, good. None of the ships. I don't. I don't particularly like the um the whatever the will daring and the, they're all flying. They're, they're not great. They don't well, stick I can't in my memory. Sure what they're called. Yeah, I can't yeah. What they're called. Even the draconian flagship. It lacks any real kind of identity. I don't know if they tried to make it look like the head of a dragon or something, but it looks like a series yes. of steps up a I think temple. They did. Yeah. Um, from the front. It looks a bit Lego. I thought it looked, I mean, that's, yeah. I used to make things like that out of Lego when I was a kid, like giant spaceships like that, where it was just yeah. like loads of little bits bolted on everywhere. Exactly. I think this is just another, you know, another thing that there's just not as much money spent on it. So yeah. I think there's, there's a, there's a real um, economy of scale here that yes. tells in the design, the use of shots, the amount of them. There's some, there's some, we mentioned earlier on, there's some nice matte paintings, um, there is. which are, which are good and it's, which are good to see. And you don't really get them in Battlestar because, you know, obviously you they're, not, they're not on any 
the only shot we see on a planet is the bit where they blow it up that city and then the bit at the end which is yeah. looks, looks awful but here the map paintings are really nicely done i thought they were really cool and so that's probably the, the standout in my memory of those i was like oh that's quite i looked at them again today and i was like you know what they're all right because uh you know that, yeah, um, i thought they were pretty good but the ships and the main special effects there's, there's not much here really is then it's not it's just a bit i don't know maybe we're just seeing d- d- diminishing returns in this kind of thing already by the time this comes out after battlestar you watch battlestar and you're like this this looks iconically cool yeah but rogers just looks like it's trying to ape that Less kind so. of thing and, and doesn't yes. work and doesn't work and it's probably because maybe that the people doing it are just not as good not as good and i think i think there is a little bit i think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that the trouble is, I don't think anyone was taking it too seriously enough when they were making Book Rogers. So it kind of it kind of comes through in all of the things that are in it, the performances, the costumes, the characters, the visual yeah. effects. They're all a bit sort of tongue in cheek. There's a little hint of that somewhere. It's like, don't take, don't do it too seriously. No, it's Tiger Man for God's sake. Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're going into Thundercats territory. They are actually. I mean, pro- I mean, it's earlier than Thundercats. I get it, but who you thought when they write this? I mean, is he in the original stories? I don't know. Maybe he is. So you know, know, maybe this is the whole point that it's. But like I said, we'll see this similar sort of style of thing in Flash Gordon. Yes, um, obviously, and they camp it up completely and. For, for better or worse, I don't know, but I think this is neither one thing nor the other. And like you said, that just sits with the effects as well. Just yes, not, it does. Not good enough. Anything to add on that? Um, certainly with um, Book Rogers, I think the it is all down to budget and, uh, and the, as you say, the scale. I do like the design of their spaceships, mm-hmm. um, but you see the same footage, even more repeats of the same footage than you do. Because there's not a lot of space battles. And the, I mean, one of the space battles is a disaster for the for the colonel and her men because she basically gets them all killed by sticking to their autopilots, yeah. which is kind of a bit of a nod, I think, to Star Wars in the turn off your you know your flight computer, Luke. So I think there's a little nod to that. And obviously, books like you know you just need to fly by wire, fly by the seat of your pants instantly. You know, so I to control the spaceship. There we go. I just fly this perfectly and be able to shoot everybody. How does he even know how to use the weapons? It's Anyway, so I do. I always like the spaceship design. They're Ralph McQuarrie designs, aren't they? So all of the ships in Book Rogers are principally based upon Ralph McQuarrie drawings on some level. Yeah, because they're Nick so, from Battlestar, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, so they've kind of they've got a they've got at least a sci-fi brain has sat there and thought about them at some point. But the actual mechanics of doing it, you know, there's only so many barrel rolls you can do. Yeah, um, in a victory barrel roll, and and it gets a bit silly. And then there's that weird. Sp- gateway thing the shield whatever they call it the defense shield which it's never really explained what that is or how it works or why they need to bypass it it's just you know this is a we put it up a, a defense shield it's like well it didn't at a certain point clearly it didn't help because half the earth's destroyed so your defense shield was maybe a few weeks too late in the in the you know switching on yeah but either way uh, those effects are particularly weak and they are really the only V effects in it, and the rest of it's in set, on set yeah. Yeah. stuff, and la- obviously laser beams and laser guns and stuff like that. But they're not great, are they? No, um, really. Though, even those, you'd get the impression if you took those visuals away, it would be hilarious to watch. But Rogers and, and <laughs> Wilma just pointing and do 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 and all that, you know, because they must be doing that in their heads. They must do it. If you're in a, if you're shooting one of these shows and you know the V effects going to be added later. You must be making a do-do-do noise in your head. I would be. I'd be like, do-do-do-do, you're there, do-do. I would. <laughs> so, so I think that, and it sort of shows in that, because I think the reason you don't see a lot of battles, because remember the book doesn't go around shooting everybody with his laser gun. He just puts bombs in the tailpipes. You know, he puts, it's the banana in the tailpipe gag. Yeah, literally. Just, you know, yeah. years earlier repeatedly and I lo- it's like you said I love the fact that they just keep launching regardless anyway, it's like maybe this one will be lucky boom why do they keep blowing up what's going on who's why who's blowing these up this is dead unfair one. this is well unfair <laughs> yeah. let us have a chance 
Um, so no, um, I think the VFX in Book Rogers, uh, and they don't really change the fact they reuse almost all of the same visuals throughout the entire series. It gets by the end of the series, you kind of you know you see you see one space battle, you know what you're going to get because well, it's going to be exactly that, like that was a victim. Others. I think most TV shows were a victim of that. I mean, I think mm. the worst I recall was, uh, we might even look at this somewhere later down the line, is uh, Blue Thunder. With that, yes. The, the start, starting the Blue Thunder up, starting the helicopter yeah. up sequence. Mm. Oh, God. Lot of sequence. Here we go again. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's just a, a victim of, uh, you know, economy of scale. Yes, absolutely. And we have to remember these are TV episodes. They're not big films and such. Even if they were released in cinemas, they were really TV films made cinema mm. or cinema released, weren't they? So yeah, so... When it comes to scoring then, um, where are we going to land with, what did you think to Battlestar Galactica's visual effects? Where's your um, score? I gave it a seven because I okay. was let, let down by the insect creatures, which I really hated. <laughs> and, that, and like you said, that end sequence on the planet where the, the base star is about to blow up, it lets it down. Yeah, so I gave it, I gave it, it a seven. Good. But I do yeah, like same, the ship design. Same. Yeah, same. I gave it a seven. And just to echo what you've said there, I, I love the Colonial Vipers. I particularly like the Silent Raiders. I did have a model one um, for a while and then I stupidly threw it out of a window. I don't quite know what I was thinking of, really. But it just, it, <laughs> I'm just messing about and just lobbed it and it went out the window and smashed. And I was like quite upset by that because it was like a model. <laughs> but you can still buy them. You can still buy all of these model kits even now. You can go on Amazon right now and find a Colonial Viper kit. I think you'd be surprised how much they cost. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so. I imagine they're dead expensive. Everything's dead expensive these days. And I once went, so just as an aside, I went to a sci fi conference that was in Cleethorpe strange enough at the uh at um i think it was at the winter gardens when the winter gardens was there it's now been knocked down and turned into not the memorial hall Uh, sorry yeah the the memorial hall that's it it was the memorial hall and they had one there and the guy had made some massive scale models of battlestar battlestar galactica and a lot of other big spaceships from sci-fi but there was a massive silent base star and he'd done a massive it all had lights and everything a battlestar the original battlestar it was spectacular looking things I can only imagine the original models that were they used for the effects back in the day when they made it would have been spectacular to see because they would have been quite large to, to in large scale to shoot for all those you know passes and they are quite detailed. So I think uh, no, I love the designs of the spaceships less so in Book Rogers, but certainly. So for me, um, I agree with your score. I think a seven is about right for Barstar. Yeah, and Book, what did you give Book? Well, I think because i i didn't i felt am i being too harsh because it was essentially not the same budget and not the same prowess as something like bat star but at the same time they were released by the, essentially the same production company and about a year apart mm. and so i've given it a five exactly what i've given it yep yep oh dear I think that's fair i think this is this is what you call an intergalactic takedown whitewash. This is it. This is honestly they've just been but Rogers just let his pants pulled down and he's asked <laughs> relatively slapped raw. Absolutely. He's had a viper up his comes shooting out of his uh <laughs> passage. He has. The Cylons have made good on their promise, you know. <laughs> Yes, exactly. By your command, Book Rogers. <laughs> Absolutely. But you still have one <laughs> one category left. We do. Uh, it's reception and influence. So it could win. It could win. I don't know. It could storm in here with a... No, probably won't. So I suppose I'll start off with the, the reception and later influence of Book Rogers. So the popular thinking around Book Rogers was that it started out pretty well. It was well received when it was um, released and it was a, a massive international success. In fact, both of these shows were a big international success, but Book Rogers was particularly popular abroad in, in especially across Europe and in Great Britain, where it was massively popular. And I think because we, we were so used to crappy effects that when we saw that, we were like, oh my God. <laughs> this is yeah. amazing yeah, so, yeah and it was, it was and also it's all about 
with these shows, as I'm sure you'll probably touch upon with Battlestar, it's all about what time they were scheduled. Now, this is all before you could download your favorite episodes to watch whenever you like. It was all before any of that. So with scheduled shows, we're scheduled at a specific time on a specific day. If you didn't work there at the time to watch it, you wouldn't see it, and unless you had a video recorder where you could potentially record it. But, but back then, video recorders were very expensive. And, and at 1980, I think it was on in 1982, but Rogers, strange enough, but back that time, the video video recorders were quite expensive and not everyone had one. So you either watched this thing when it was scheduled and didn't, but Rogers was in the UK scheduled on a Saturday, a Saturday tea time, which is prime time for something like that, prime time kids time. It was right at tea time as well. I think it was about six o'clock, something like that. So as much as it was a bit racy, the TV show was less so. It was on and around that time. So it was season one was heralded as a great success internationally, as I say. Um, season two, however, car crash. There were 24 episodes, including the two the two-part pilot episode, and there were four stories that were two-parters in season one of Book Rogers. Season two was cancelled at episode 11. Ooh. Oh, dear. Um, so partly there's a number of factors that have factored into the, the, the massive downfall of, of what happened with Book Rogers. So riding on the crest of success, the new series of Book Rogers was hampered by both a strike, a writer's strike that was occurring at the time, and then another strike, so the delay, there was a production delay, which meant that it started production quite late. And even I think they'd also changed its um, scheduled time to appear. So meanwhile, it's enjoying a bit of a renaissance in Great Britain and other places. Remember that we saw the pilots as movies first before we got it on TV. It didn't They didn't come onto UK TV until about 1982, which is well late, actually. But either way, um, we were busy enjoying season one with some of its stupid storylines and everything else. Won't come into, won't talk about that now. But they essentially, for season two, replaced the entire format of Book Rogers. It got a new producer, and the producer was a guy called John Mantley, who had previously worked mostly on television westerns, and he didn't like the idea of this original series of Book Rogers. In fact, he hated it so much so that he changed it completely. So instead of them defending the Earth from external threats, a la the old series, Season two, for its short run, um, saw Buck, Wilmer, and Tweaky were part of a crew of a sh- an Earth spaceship called the Searcher on a mission to seek out the lost tribes of humanity who had scattered in the five centuries since Earth's 20th century nuclear war. Hey, Yes, yeah, something that sounds <laughs> oddly familiar, right? Yeah, yeah, just a bit. Yeah, it's a theme that was basically ripped off from Glenn A. Larson's other sci-fi show, Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Sad. Other noticeable changes that were in the second season was the disappearance of many of the regular characters, such as Dr. Hewer. Dr. Theopolis, Princess Idala, and Kane. So they never made it into the second series, the short and second series. However, they did have some new characters, you'd be pleased to know. Admiral Ephraim Asimov, who was the descendant of science fiction author Isaac Asimov. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Hawk, who's miraculously and brilliantly played by Tom Christopher, who's an alien character who represents the last of the bird people. <laughs> oh, I remember Hawk. Dr. Oh. Goodfellow, who's played by Wilfred Hyde-White, who's an elderly scientist with insatiable curiosity. And Crichton, who was voiced by Jeff Davis, is a snobbish robot built by Dr. Goodfellow, who is basically like an odd odd antithesis to Tweaky. So and Crichton has kind of a normal voice. He doesn't biggie-biggie like Tweaky does, but horribly. Um, <laughs> no they one replaced... biggie is like Tweaky well, does. Well, <laughs> the, wor- <laughs> the worry there is that they replaced, <laughs> in the series too, they replaced Mel Blanc with another person's voice for three episodes. So oh, the three episodes, he, he doesn't so much Tweaky goes, boogie, 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 like that. There's even a female tweaking. It all goes horribly wrong. So wrong that somebody just went, for Christ's sake, turn it off. And so after 11 <laughs> episodes, it got it got, it got cancelled. Uh, Jill Gerard became very attached to the role of Book and, and really reveled in the success of the first series, but found himself completely at odds with the new TV producers in the end and felt because he felt that he knew what Book Rogers would do, say, and be at any given opportunity, the producer of the show, less so. 
in the end, the tension between them meant that he became massively unhappy in his role. And of course, then it all went tits up anyway when they had him hanging around with a bird man. And he thought, sod this for a game of soldiers. I'm not, I'm not into it. And then so the ratings obviously dropped massively between the seasons. And even after the season premiere, um, it, coupled with all the problems with uh, Jill Gerard. NBC cancelled it at the end, cancelled the series at the end of the 11th episode. And they didn't even finish the storyline or finish any of the story. It just ends in a standalone mm. episode. So there's no no ending to Book Rogers as such. And I suppose it ended up really influence-wise. Well, it's never really had an influence, I don't think, on anything that came after it. There's no, there's no sci-fi shows after Book Rogers that have Book Rogers influence about them because there are other shows that are far more important and far better. It's, some of its costume designs, I think, perhaps maybe leaned into the more campy sci-fi like the Flash Gordons and films. Maybe a little bit of that, I don't know. I think a little bit of that. Certainly it's glamorous portrayal of its female co-stars is something that I think mercifully and thankfully was kind of killed off um, because even Battlestar Galactica in its later series had some sort of more female characters in it but even then they weren't necessarily played and over-sexualized in the way that Book Rogers did and I think it actually shot itself in the foot because times were changing and Book Rogers was a bit of a relic of a time that was changing you know, mm. it's almost the equivalent of you know it, this is the same end of that kind of TV that kind of TV thinking and those kind of producers and that kind of thinking about women's portrayal on TV it was kind of coming to an end that way and gradually of course it would completely change so empowered women were becoming the new thing your, your Dempsey and not your Dempsey MP sorry your um, Tyne Daly's character in um, what do you call it uh, Cagney and Lacey Cagney and Lacey and things like that so there was an emancipation coming and Book Rogers was a bit of a relic to a, a situation that didn't exist anymore and so mercifully and sadly in some ways I suppose it was killed off halfway through its season I suppose there's some interesting things about it maybe you could look at it that they were released even though they did descend into utter stupidity they were the role the, the initial roles for those women characters were commanders of a military fleet which is unusual for a TV show at that time yeah, um, yeah. it was never as po-faced perhaps as other sci-fi shows around the time things like logan's run and other things it wasn't it didn't take itself that seriously i think that was in the end it's undoing and because it, they didn't quite want to take it seriously and they went in softly softly with it it just didn't quite land and i think that's means really what affected its influence i think it will be remembered more of as a disco afterthought and for its silly that ball dancing and its and its famous book disco scenes more than anything else what did you think of, uh, just, of, of just, that just 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 saying this thinking on book rogers as well do you think it was also a victim of the fact that thinking about essentially the plot it's very similar to planet of the eight yes actually yeah i, I don't doubt that there's so, some issues with that so if you think of planet because i say just tv planet series eight, as well it did have a tv series but it was like he, he goes into space and he? he comes back and he doesn't realize he's crash landed yeah. back on earth it's hundreds yeah. of years later the apes taken over he finds out he's back on earth that's the story i mean it's a very similar premise yeah, only, only he's the ape and daring <laughs> falls in love with him so it's a mixture of that and harry and the hendersons yeah <laughs> but maybe people have just seen that plot before that story before maybe yeah. that's you know i get it, it could be partly with that yeah but also trying to copy the other better show which ironically which i'll go across in a minute Battlestar galactica so that was a hit i mean i've got nothing really to say about but rogers it is what it is you know i think you've yeah, covered yeah, everything yeah. there Battlestar galactica was a hit when it was released they originally released the universal release the, the edited version of the cinema and that went on to gross over 40 million dollars so it's a fairly big a big big, uh, big thing it was about 120 minutes long that version i think that's the version we've watched yeah, um yeah. so the original but the original three-hour tv broadcast came a bit later um, and it was interrupted strangely enough for an hour um, at the time by the signing of the peace accords at Camp David between um, Cylons and the <laughs> yeah, Cylons and it was <laughs> and then they were uh, double crossed by somebody yeah. called uh, Bolter <laughs> 
uh, it was the Camp David Accords, which was, uh, I think, Egypt, Egyptian and Israel, uh, overseen by Jimmy Carter at, C- at Camp David. Right. Um, once they Carter. were done, once they were done, they just they just put the show back on. <laughs> okay. We've got to finish the show. It's a half hour left. <laughs> um, so, but since then, this pilot has been split into three separate episodes. So it's you know, it's not we can see where those joins are. Yes, well, that's absolutely. what it is. It was actually criticised though at the, at the time. It wasn't critically well received, mainly due to the show's similarity to Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and the main criticism was they're saying that they'd sucked all the fun out of the concept. They'd made this yeah, dour, okay. this, this dour take on sci-fi, which like people are like, oh, I've already seen Star Wars. Why would I want to watch this? It's kind of odd actually because it's nothing like star wars plot wise no, it's no. very the, the, it's just because it's like they're sci-fi spaceships yeah it's, it's nothing like that but it went on to be a rating success on tv it caused cbs to reschedule all in the family and alice against it to win back previous viewers in the wow. um in the prominent sunday evening slot where this went the problem was is that they started to move it around the schedule um mm. and it only actually lasted one season wow so 24 episodes of what is what we got and it was aired so it first aired on september 17th 1978 in the states and uh, i don't know when it was shown over here in the uk um we, we just got well, a few not years a lot, later. lot later it was on bbc2 i think wasn't it yeah that point and but then it finished in april 29th 1979 24 episodes that's all you got so wow. it's a weird thing because you uh, same with but rogers you seem to think there are lots of lots of episodes more, but yeah, yeah. Out, there is there's only 24 and the, some cited the abc moving around because they wanted to put mork and mindy in its slot that's which right. was their big flagship show at the time um it won a reprieve of sorts with a fan fan written a, a letter based sort of cry Campaign. plea to get to get a sequel and that we'd got that in 1980 with Galactica 1980 oh lord um, but the less said about that the better should we say yes it wasn't very good since that fact it was revived again in 2003 for a mini series and then that follow was followed up by a four series run and several other films which are up to 2009 and that version it hardened the narrative um, mm. it really did before going off the rails somewhat towards the end when it turned out that the opening gambit of the Cylons having a plan was that they didn't have a plan or the plan wasn't very good <laughs> so the, however the first two seasons probably two and a half so the first two two and a half seasons of that remake are incredible tv and if you mm-hmm. haven't seen those Battlestar Galactica shows you should because they're amazing what it does show though in regards to influence and lasting legacy there are legs in this idea so the original idea of this stories of another because the stories of another reboot with at the moment uh, the guy who did Mr. Robot Sam Esmail supposedly on board okay. to create it wow. so that could be interesting I think it's fair to say that the core notion of Battlestar Galactica that of human life on Earth starting out somewhere else in the universe is always going to be a resonant science fiction theme it's something that you know will will there's something out there that mankind yeah, yeah, yeah. is is not of this planet it's a bit you know it's a conspiracy theory it's a whatever it is um you know we, we were brought here by aliens all that kind of thing that's a it's not a new theme but the the notion of coupled with the you know a notion of an entire race on the run from a far superior force mm. you put those two things together that the human race came through these trials and tribulations like you said the moses story it's resonant and i think that's why this works Yes. More so, and, and and has legs over time, and that's why it can be revisited. So when it works again in two thousand three, it does a very different job of what it's looking at, and the notion of you know the Holocaust and all those kind of things, which it revisits and looks at, and and it can do that. And it does what sci fi does best 
you know, it turns a lens to the world itself, to the world we find ourselves in. And it, you know, it says, well, well, okay, well, what, that, that theme that, that's happening there, we're going to put this here and we're going to take it to its logical extreme. It's when it, when Star Trek's at its best. It's when yes. Black Mirror's at its best. Those kind of really good sci fi. And at the moment, um, the Orville, which is really, really good. I don't know if you've watched that, but you should. But that's doing some things with thematic science fiction. And this, this does it as well. And I think when they came up with this idea, they hit on that nerve. And I think in that respect, whilst it's not a new idea, the presentation of the series and the depth of the central theme, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. We'll get another one of these. And I think Battlestar Galactica will be a reboot. It'll just keep mm. going because it has that core idea, which is centrally really interesting. And that's, yes. that's so that's why I think about it. What about you? Anything to add? No, I, I, I agree with everything you've said. I think there's it's because they, they attach themselves to core themes. And I agree with you, actually. I think it's an unfair comparison to sort of stick this by side by side with Star Wars just because it was released in a similar time period. I don't doubt that one enabled the other, but yeah. st- there's a there is a lot of core differences between the whole ideas that are in um, both sh- both the Star Wars film and certainly Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica is a really good story in its own right. Yes, the pilot goes off the rails a bit with stupid stuff, but the core, like you say, the core story is a timeless story, and therefore it it will resonate. And as you rightly point out, resonated so much that um, it was brought back repeatedly more often than not because the fans really wanted it to be brought back you know it, as much as they once they watched galactica 1980 they didn't want it back <laughs> although there is one really good episode of that the last episode is actually really good but later the when obviously because it was uh, richard hatch that really pushed to get because he paid funded himself i think he mortgaged his house like six times or something and paid for a pilot to be made which later became the sort of skeleton of the recent, more recent update of Battlestar Galactica. And, and I find that incredible. Of course, Richard Hatch is even in yeah, the yeah, later yeah. versions of Battlestar Galactica. So, and I find that incredible that his his adherence to the, the understanding that is exactly you've, you've described, that because it's a core centralized theme, because it works, that there's still, there was always mileage in it. And he really, really believed that to the point where he literally put his money where his mouth was and said, I, you know, I couldn't, and he made, I think, I think you even see it on YouTube. I think it's like a 15 or 20 minute sort of pilot that he made of a precursor to what became the Battlestar Galactica redo mm. with um, with um, James Edward Olmos and all those other characters in it. So, of course, Battlestar Galactica has our influence and also, the vi- not, to, not to forget, the visual effects anti for Battlestar Galactica, the Rose, the recent series, is incredible. They really upped the visuals. It's at, And again, it's weirdly at its weakest when they're not in space. So whenever you see... Caprica, I think it is, spends a lot of time in Caprica. They just kind of put a funny filter on the color of the sky and yeah. it's basically filming in a field. When it's, when it's, and sometimes the, because by this point we've got to visual compositing and all video, you know, 3D visual compositing and all of that. Some of the visuals are let down at that point, but they're at, they're at its weakest. Even when you're compositing the newer version of the Cylons into the sort of the battles in on the planets, they look weak compared to the amazing visuals and the, the visual style they adopted of those spaceships in the new version when it's got kind of a verite style and it's kind of lots yeah. of sudden handheld jumps and things like that. So its influence isn't just on the thematics and everything else and the characters. Its influence is on how TV sci-fi was made later yeah. down the line. And that is a true power of, a, of an excellent and powerful TV show. They'd never carry on using the music theme, which I think is an oversight myself, because I think, but it does, it is kind of jovial, boppy 70s. It doesn't suit that dramatic darkness that's in the later series. But of course, there's a whole thematic around the sound and stuff that's in the later one. But I think what you can't say about Book Rogers is it changed anything other than it, you know, made lots of dads suddenly rethink (laughs) their TV schedules (laughs) around 6 p.m. on Saturday 
um, because Erin Gray was about to appear and she was a striking looking woman and, and you know, and remains so throughout the entire season. Later, by the way, in the season two of that, just as an aside, um, she gets bitten by a space vampire and she goes all vampiric and it's a episode oh, I recommend any any I reckon, any adult male should watch that episode um, <laughs> because it's it's something to see when space she gets all kind of yeah she gets all kind of space sexy and she's got like va- vampire fangs I just I honestly y- your adjective for everything that happens to this is it's just a space at the start of it and that <laughs> it just is. describes it she gets space sexy space she vampires just, they are space, space vampires space that <laughs> it is a space vampire it'd be it's actually a space vampire you'll recognise I'll I find a picture of them because when you show you the picture of the space vampires and Brooke Rogers, you go, "Oh my god, that's where that's from." Because um, I think you, you might have used it in one of your silly adverts at one time. Probably you'll, you'll find. It. Anyway, so I agree with what you said, and I think there's a rich uh, influence upon TV sci-fi production that Battlestar Galactica initiated that resonates to this day. But Rogers, well, it just kind of they still do conferences, don't they? And there's still there's still people out there that love it. They'll always they'll always get them, and I'm not sure why they do. Really, I guess it's sometimes shows just catch that sort of. The- It'll, yeah, there'll always be there'll always be fans of it. There always will. And it's an easy it's an easy cosplay, you know, just dressing white to paint paint yourself white essentially and be very very perilously thin. Yeah, if you're going to do Erin Gray cosplay, yeah, because uh, she is very very skinny in that. But um, other than that, that's it. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's it. So I suppose really we have to give it scores. <laughs> Final scores of the final category. Uh, well, I gave Battlestar a nine. Yes, uh, same. I gave it a nine. We were very, very, uh, our thought processes around it. We're probably Cylons and we don't even realise it. <laughs> probably. Well, until we start hearing all along the watchtower, we won't know. <laughs> I mean, you don't hear that? By your command. Both eyes do it. <laughs> there's, there's three of me sat here, two behind me, and I'm in the cat driving seat. It's a good job they've only got that one eye, though, because if you had two of those things and they're desynchronized, <laughs> you're just going to silence is just going to look crazy all the time. One, one went just slightly slower. <laughs> yeah, it's just, well, when they break, I mean, later later on, by the way, in the in the series when they do get shot and break, when you do see silence and they go wrong, they just kind of go, and their eye just freezes or woggles slightly. So that's how you know a. Oh, he's damaged. Don't go near that one. He's Which damaged. Which is like though. the uh, freezing effect when he shoots Tiger Man with the freeze gun. <laughs> oh, God, that's so bad. Why did... so bad. Oh, my God. So, yes. <laughs> what, what did you give Book Rogers? Uh, well, my Book Rogers score was a, a measly four. Yeah, same here. Oh, dear. Uh, okay, time to do some maths. Yes, well, you're the maths head. I'll leave you with your Cylon-engineered mind. This should take you moments, <laughs> mo- mere moments. Uh, that gives Battlestar a whopping 45 and Book Rogers 30. So out of a potential 60. So Battlestar Galactica, 45 out of 60 in our rating schemes. Mm. And poor old Buck Rogers galumps in in his, <laughs> in his man block outfit and his chest hair and his, his you know, he's not, he's neither buff nor super cool. No, he needed, we needed to feel it more. Just let ourselves go, Graham, and we would have been all right. <laughs> no amount of ball dancing is going to save that. That's a, yeah. a, a measly 30. So. We have to declare a winner. This is the whole purpose of the Battle of the Pilots. And in this instance, the pilot that wins the battle, of course, is Battlestar Galactica. Well done, Battlestar Galactica. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Oh, the silence are going, in excitement. Speeds up slightly when they get excited. My ankle. What's he he doing? (laughs) <laughs> there we go and it's also made me think i'd like to hear that silent voice should be more replete in other things i'd like to hear a version of um salem's lot where striker is a cylon put down that cross 
<laughs> face the master. Oh, faith. Hang on, faith. <laughs> it's faith by your command. Yeah, that always reminds me of the Cylon in um, Futurama, Cylon on Garfunkel. That's right, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, you travelling to Strawberry Fair? Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary and thyme. Rosemary, sage and parsley too. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a clip of that, I think, and put it in. That uh, is good. Also, you could have you could have sat-navs done by them. I bet there is a sat-nav. Cylon sat-nav. To be the, the Cylon sat-nav. By your command. Turn left. Brought to you by Toltec Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, I think Brooke Rogers, it's, its central premise is what it is, but it's, it's, it's Planet of the Apes in different trousers. I think Battlestar yeah. just has ape, more. It's ape on a planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the planet of one ape. <laughs> Whereas Battlestar just it's, it's just better. It's just better. Yeah, it's better. Um, yes, it was get cost more, and they had more money, but even so, they were it's released still at the, around about the same time. Yeah, you know, they're both on TV. They're both TV shows. We can only put judge what's in well, front of us. There has we have to choose a winner. A winner has to emerge from our discussion, and it did. And it, did. it was clearly, clearly. Battlestar Galactica. Clear winner. A clear winner. No yeah. amount of Baltar led confusion is going to change that <laughs> result. I'm afraid. <laughs> Perhaps it was a but Rogers welcoming committee. <laughs> Baltar, it seems to but Battlestar has won. Baltar? Baltar? Baltar. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you've uh, you've um, enjoyed our little sojourn into the crazy world of TV pilots. And that brings this particular episode to a summary end. Is there anything you wanted to add before we sign off on our Battlestar fleets and go on our separate Vipers craft? On our way to Carillon for a bit of a gamble. <laughs> I'm not going there, it's blown up. <laughs> also, as well, you have to get through a rear, you know, it's not like driving around the M25, you've got to get through that radar milit- that thing that you can't see where you're shooting. <laughs> the stuff. maelstrom or whatever it's called. Nightmare. Yeah. Uh, no, I've got nothing more to say. I think Battlestar is a worthy winner. Are we, are, we, are we planning on doing more of these? I think so. And once we've got this together, and I think there's, there's so many TV pilots out there, it would be remiss of us not to just record some of these now and again. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of schedule we're going to look at. That's why this is just episode one so i don't know i don't know what we've got a schedule for these we haven't no we're going to do them as and when we've got we've, we've got quite a few ideas for them but we're going to do them as and when because i mean if you if you're listening to this and you don't know we we do these up to with you know it's up to the past presents battle of the pilots we do zap to the past which is a c64 podcast so if you just come at this from from out of nowhere and you're wondering what the hell this is then that's what we also do so you can find us there and so yeah so that that's what this is so this is a bit of a sidestep for us i guess but yeah it's you know. a bit of a side project we might put a page together and maybe pop it, maybe pop a page on the Zap to the Past website or something like that, just so there's a place where we can sort of post things. I don't know. So until we decide what we're going to do and until we decide what the next pilot episodes are for the battle, um, and bear in mind that we've got an extensive list of TV that we could explore over the last 50 years, we are only going to go really from may- maybe sort of the late 60s through to the late 80s, 90s. We're not going to go beyond that and look at any of the models. We just mm-hmm. don't have the time, the patience, the inclination. And to be honest, they're not crap enough. So, because um, they're quite good now, these shows. Most yeah, of them they got good. Be quite good. They got Which, quite you know, good at put, doing this stuff. Put us out of a job. It would. We can't just go. Yeah. What do you think to that one? Oh, it's great. What about that one? Really good. Oh, it kind of kills it. <laughs> yeah. It so, um, so we will be back with another TV uh, battle, another battle of our planets. We will find some. And until we do come back, it just leaves me to say. I'm going to sign off with a good old by your command. Thank you for listening to this. I've been Graham Raddings. I've been Adrian Mills. And you have listened to Battle of the Pilots. Come again.
By your command. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> We've got you can get a full pyramid. <laughs> get a full pyramid. And if you don't if you do come to come back again, I promise we'll do the ball dance. Do to ace a base. <laughs> Thank you kindly for listening to the Battle of the Pilots podcast brought to you by the team behind Zap to the Past. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this feisty look and comedic dive, indeed an out-and-out dust-up, between two classic pilot episodes that have graced our TV screens from over the last 50 years. We will, of course, return with another exciting and no doubt challenging episode. Until then, you can download this podcast and others from the zaptothepast.com website, as well as listen on all good podcasting apps such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, you know, those kind of things. The Battle of the Pilots podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Grain Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. And please do remember, all opinions expressed throughout the podcast are those of the writers. Now, go and watch something new on TV. You never know. It could be the start of something brilliant. 